Welcome to Adaptation, the podcast that dives into all things self-optimization and self-discovery, helping you be your best inside and out. I'm your host, Steve Katazi, and today we get into a hotly requested yet poorly covered subject of the endocannabinoid system and the naturopathic use of CBD oil. To help unpack this relatively new science, we have Nikki Edivane, a technical CBD specialist and qualified complementary medical practitioner, joining us on the mics for what is a mammoth two hours and 20 minute deep dive. Yep, it's the longest show we've ever done, but I promise you it's jam-packed, interesting, and not a second is wasted. Nikki Edivane has an advanced diploma in CBD, has conducted over 1,500 hours of research in this field, and has become very familiar with the research and all the trials, and is an educator of CBD and the endocannabinoid system across the industry. He's definitely qualified for this discussion and is incredibly passionate. And look, I must admit, I've been cautious and skeptical of CBD oil and the explosion of associated sales, marketing, and online influencers peddling this stuff. I've even tried CBD oil myself and it was a nothing experience. That said, I couldn't ignore the avalanche of gushing support for CBD oil in the wellness and self-optimization space, as well as the growing body of unavoidable science suggesting that a remarkable discovery has been made. Maybe I wasn't doing it right. Or maybe I bought a low-quality product. Look, I pride myself on being open-minded, science-led, and willing to challenge popular beliefs and institutional wisdom. So this conversation had to happen. It turns out that we have an ancient system within our body called the endocannabinoid system that was only discovered, get this, 29 years ago. We're learning more about this system every day and people are getting super excited about its potential to bring on better health outcomes. However, there continues to be no interest from allopathic medicine and institutional healthcare. Instead, they dismiss it as quackery and snake oil. Why the resistance? Well, in today's episode, we answer this question and so much more. What motives drove cannabis to become illegal in the first place? What is the endocannabinoid system and what does it affect? How does CBD oil have therapeutic effects on a number of bodily conditions? We dig into the science behind CBD oil, how you naturally improve your ECS system, how sleep and anxiety are improved with CBD, and whether CBD has adverse effects and addictive properties and so, so much more as you would expect in over two hours. I even discuss my current experience with CBD, which honestly has been pretty positive. I'm about six weeks in, and I can say honestly, it has brought an increased level of calmness and sharpness of thought during the day, as well as even increasing my REM sleep and vivid dreams. Last night, as an example, I got two hours and 12 minutes of REM and two hours and 44 minutes of deep sleep. Prior to CBD oil, I was averaging 40 minutes to maybe up to an hour and 10 minutes of REM. That's a massive, massive jump, over double. And we know that REM sleep is so important to memory consolidation and mental health. But hey, it could be any number of positive things I'm doing in my life. 
Albeit with the stress of this COVID-19 global crisis and the relative sameness of my life recently, it looks like the CBD oil is having a positive health and cognitive effect. Is it also doing positive stuff inside? Honestly, I don't know. So if you are keen to demystify the talk, the science and the stigma attached to CBD and cannabis derivatives so that you can assess if CBD oil is worth exploring for your health, then this is the one-stop-shop podcast for you. And as always, you can check out the full show notes by clicking the link within the description of this episode. And of course, if this discussion resonates with you, please help others find our show and this episode by leaving a five-star rating or review in your podcast app and tagging us in a screenshot, whether it be in Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Okay, without further delay, I hope you enjoy my marvelous and fascinating conversation with Nikki Edivane as we explore all things CBD, cannabinoids, and the endocannabinoid system. Adaptation. Welcome to the show, my man. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've been in, looking forward to this chat with you, man. It's been um, it's been a conversation that I've been meaning to have on the mics for quite some time, but I just haven't been motivated to uh, to find someone. So you found me, which is fantastic. But how are things a- with you with this whole uh, lockdown stuff? Are you guys kind of coping? Are you dealing with it well? Yeah, we're doing pretty well. I mean, obviously, my uh, naturally, my kind of business life has changed over the last few years anyway, so I was quite good to go. Um, affected my wife. Uh, she's obviously been uh, forced to shut down like most people back in March. Uh, she's self-employed, also only just into uh, the, the tail end of her second year, so the support wasn't there. And because she does cosmetic tattooing, she's obviously furloughed for the longest because obviously she's breaking skin. So financially, it's been a uh, a bit of an adjustment, but um, mm. I'll be honest, it's been amazing spending time with, with my two little girls and I've, I've actually taken the benefits from it. Um, so try, try and do the, the glass half full. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whilst not getting pissed off with social media, but if you can do that, <laughs> golden, yeah. right? Let's <laughs> stay clear of that as much as possible. Um, but yeah, just just taking the time to educate myself. And, and, and again, it's also, I mean, I don't want to take a say it was like an opportunity, but there's so many things that are relevant to what I'm learning at the moment that, that this, this is really sort of uh, the virus and, and everything around it is, is pertinent to. So it's been quite a good learning curve for me, the immune system side of things, the gut health side of things as well. So no, I've, I've taken the positives from it. It's not been as bad as it could have been. Oh, good on you. I'm glad, I'm glad you're looking at this glass half, uh, half full. And look, um, I know that we see eye to eye on a lot of things. We've had a few conversations. We've bounced back and forth on social, whether it be on nutrition, social, uh, immune system, the food and pharma industry. So I know there's a lot that we agree on. And it yeah. is great to speak with someone who is following a similar path, you know, like an average Joe who's taking it upon himself to I don't know, lead an optimized and vibrant life, you know, by digging in way deeper than the status quo offers and finding compelling lifestyle nutritional truths. And I know you've been doing that for a couple of years. Um, And this process for me is like finding a treasure trove of human wisdom and science that just seems to not make its way through to the healthcare system, to the public health policy and to mainstream media. And I know we're going to speak about those kind of things specifically on our topic in a second. But I tell you what, man, I'm absolutely loving this journey for me. I'm three years in. And I'm thrilled to speak with so many amazing people from different walks of life and with different specialisms and with different points of view and 
at different points in their journey of self-discovery and self-optimization? 100%. They're all like-minded. They're all uh, changing that focus towards, obviously, lifestyle, life itself, and, and actually something they've got a passion with rather than just going to do the nine to five and something that just pays the bills. So, so you've got people that, that their passion's there from the start. So Exactly. Uh, exactly. Nice. And do you know what? I've been doing this for, as I say, almost three years. Uh, yeah. And before then, really, before I made it a kind of vocational pursuit. And when you think you've nailed it and you've learned pretty much everything that you need to know, you turn the bloody corner and you realize there is a new world of yet more science and uh, wisdom that you need to explore. And that, my friend, is where you come in, Nikki. Um, to let me and our audience know and let us into the world of this super interesting space of the endocannabinoid system and CBD therapy. Because as I say, I'm not educated in this space, but it is intriguing. So um, are you up for that? Are you help, uh, up for helping us try and unpack the mystique and I guess the negative reputation that this space has? Actually, yeah, 100%. Yeah, but that's, it's quite funny, actually. I'm going to cover this, obviously, in, in the podcast anyway, but my, my kind of journey into it is, is an accident, and I kind of fell into it as well as somebody that started as a user. And then, obviously, my, my sort of uh, journey through, through uh, the various sort of um, uh, bits of information and research that I did, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. And, and I'm glad that you mentioned the endocannabinoid system as well, because... Um, although obviously a lot of people are very interested in CBD and that's obviously one of the things that uh, I'm definitely going to be covering today because it's it's what um, everybody's talking about specifically on social media. Um, but the, the real thing is the endocannabinoid system. And, and again, for people that don't know what that is, we will go into it in more detail um, throughout this chat. So Absolutely. one thing I do like to do at the very start of everything, and and, and this is what anybody that uh, that is is representing this uh, should be doing is obviously point out, I'm not a doctor. Um, I'm not a qualified GP. Um, I don't offer um, what I call medical medical advice or, or sort of diagnosis. This is the generalized information. This is the research that's out there um, that is available. And it's just to, just to clear up a few of the myths and obviously offer a bit of clarity. Um, I am, however, a qualified complementary medical um, uh, sort of practitioner with a speciality in uh, the endocannabinoid system, uh, cannabinoids in general. Um, and I also go into gut health and brain connection too. Um, and that is, uh, I am actually registered with the Complementary Medical Association. So I do know what I'm talking about, but I don't want anybody to take this as um, sort of diagnosis to go off and start sort of self-treating themselves, uh, again, without any sort of background knowledge in, into what they're doing. So, but but uh, the way that I kind of fell into it, um, so I had a car accident in tw uh, 2017, uh, quite a bad car accident, and I broke my pelvis. Um, so... At the same time as creating sort of a, an ongoing sort of wellness and health issue that I was obviously going to have to contend with, uh, I did it. It was quite a life-changing event as well, because uh, obviously at various times in the actual accident itself, I, I actually thought I was a goner. Uh, so obviously mentally you have that sort of uh, experience that uh, that changes things. Mm. Uh, but the main main sort of thing was is, uh, is obviously I was going to have to find something to help me maintain and, and deal with that as, as I get older. Um, and obviously deal with the, the sort of problems that it created. And I've never been somebody that's into pharmaceuticals. I don't know why. It's not something that I was taught by my family at all. I've always been one of these people that I'd much rather stay away from if I can. I've got no problem with taking one if a, 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 a sort of a headache won't go away or you're, you're suffering with a, a hangover. But I I'm not somebody that wants to take something ongoing. Uh, and that happened straight after my, my accident. I refused to take sort of painkillers uh, in there um, in, in hospital. Um, but... 
I'm going to tell a little story, which is deviating a little bit, but I think it's quite personal. I was in my 20s, so bear in mind. So one of my friends actually came into the hospital um, with what he called a treat. And he'd actually brought me in some hash brownies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually he just said, look, I know you're going to be in here for three months. You're going to be going out of your mind. Here's just something to, to get you by. And I was, I was sort of sat there, obviously, in a lot of pain, not taking any of the medication. And when I took one of those hash brownies or, or at one of them on, on a Saturday night watching Match of the Day, I noticed straight away that um, my pain perception had been completely numbed. And what I mean by that, um, the pain was there. So if I moved, obviously, I knew that I'd broken my pelvis. Uh, but I wasn't sitting there sort of with that, that feeling in your head where you know that there's pain, that throbbing feeling that's just telling you that you're in pain. And it wasn't lost on me. So I sort of tried that uh, trial and error over a few weeks, actually, while I was in hospital and noticed that obviously it was very well linked to the pain relief. Um, great while I was in hospital. When I get out of hospital and I'm working 12 to 14 hour days uh, running the sort of family recruitment business, it's not something that's very practical at all. Um, so obviously that wasn't something I could possibly do. So I just started going on a bit of a, a sort of a hunt just to try and find something that was an alternative. Um, I didn't actually find CBD straight away, to be honest. Uh, but in 2015, a friend of mine that uh, had actually, as long as I can remember, he had suffered with back pain. Um, and he was doing jujitsu and he was going to tournaments and stuff. And, and he sort of said, look, have you tried CBD? And I was like, I'm not in fairness. I don't know anything about it. Uh, long story short, I decided to give it a go. Uh, and the first two years, that it wasn't a great experience, to be honest. It was... Uh, I was I was having very mixed results with the CBD that I was finding. Um, some of them uh, they did something, but I mean um, CBD is subtle by nature anyway, and it was so subtle that it wasn't really sort of benefiting me like I wanted it to. Um, but I didn't want to give up, so there were so many people on forums uh, talking about sort of how great this thing was, and I just didn't want to sort of give up there. So what I decided to do is I decided to actually educate myself on CBD on the basics. Um, so I listened to a podcast. Uh, it wasn't a podcast, sorry. It was an audio book on Audible uh, by a guy called Frank Coles, and it's uh, imaginatively titled CBD Oil. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so I read this book, or listened to this book, and it was it was very sort of uh, monotonous and quite boring. But the actual information there was was absolutely uh, invaluable to me, really. Uh, things like the extraction methods to look out for for, for high quality sort of products, um, how to read the third party lab test results that are given. Um, obviously. Uh, Things like uh, the, the sort of manufacturing facilities that you should be looking for, all this kind of stuff. So the real basics. And it also went into the basics of, of what was at that time that the proven research as well. So, and it just sort of kind of, it kind of just blew me away a bit. So I caught the bug uh, and took that knowledge. Um, actually found this book here as well, which I wish this was the best thing I ever found. It's called the Cannabis Health Index. And that is basically all the research that existed about 18 months ago on sort of cannabinoids in general and cannabis. So that was very, very helpful. Um, but it was more a case of um, sort of, I just, just wanted to learn more about it. Really. I was fascinated by it. And it was just a personal thing. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a business project or anything at all. Um, what tended to sort of then start to happen, I, I found that whenever I was speaking to anybody, it was, it was all I was talking about was, was CBD and the cannabinoid system. And did you know it did this? And did you know it sort of affects this? And, 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 and people were actually feeding it back to me saying, look, you seem pretty passionate about this. Um, and long story short, I just decided to start looking into how I could in some way be in the industry. And I, I didn't want to be a CD, CBD salesperson. I didn't want to be one of these social media influencers, just, just sort of sharing memes. I wanted to have some sort of real, um, offering, uh, to give. Um, but again, still at this point, still didn't know enough to really, um, sort of expand past selling CBD. So uh, again, 
uh, hunted high and low and managed to find the first uh, official sort of qualification that you can actually get in in this this uh, this sort of arena uh, through the complementary medical association, uh, and that was an advanced diploma specifically into the endocannabinoid system, medicinal cannabis, and uh, CBD oil. Um, and yeah, that and fifteen hundred sort of hours of, of uh, researching medicinal papers. Uh, it's it's uh, that's where I find myself today. Um, so that's how I got into it. And that's, as I say, kind of just fell into it. Uh, it really wasn't something I was actively looking to do. I just loved the whole thing so much. I was blown away by it that, uh, that I sort of forced a, a business out of it, really. That's great. That's great. And you know what? That story is quite familiar to lots of people that find themselves in some way, shape or form connected to wellness and well-being. It's usually a personal story. It's a personal journey of exploration that then becomes an obsession. And then like, how can I turn this obsession into value for others? Uh, it sounds like that's exactly what you've done. Um, I love that. I love that. Now, today, like as we look at what you do today, Nikki, is it is this now considered both full time and your your only endeavour, or do you do other stuff too? Um, so it is is it is my full time endeavour, but it's uh, it, again, it's kind of um, what I what I didn't want to do when I first got into it. I didn't want to have an end goal and just be focusing on that and sort of kind of miss the journey and and maybe end up at the wrong end goal because obviously just what you're thinking today uh, isn't necessarily what it's going to be uh, you're looking for in two years time. So. So what I've done in this whole process, I mean, I've been in quite a good position because I, I had um, shares in a business that I was sort of uh, decided to exit from. Um, and I just spent the two years thinking, right, I just need to get as much knowledge as I can. And, and what's what's uh, sort of happened, as I say, I have, I have sort of veered off into uh, the immune system and gut health because there's such a, there's a massive crossover between the endocannabinoid system and both of those systems. Um, but yeah, what it's turning into is kind of like a, an alternative health practice. Um, and another, another sort of really surprising sort of benefit that's come from it is I come from recruitment where it's, it's, it's kill or be killed. Uh, and everybody is competing against each other to a point where, I mean, it's just not a nice industry to be in. I'm in an industry now where I'm actually offering CBD suppliers and companies, my services to educate their staff, uh, past the basics, past those memes that are being shared on, on Facebook. So it's just all the skills that I've built up over a 20 year period in consultancy, are now sort of being completely sort of transferred over into a, a completely different industry that I absolutely love. Uh, that, that blows me away every day. And that's not just discovering what's already known, what's, what's being discovered by the day as well. It's just, it's just uh, one of the best places I, I think I've been in a long time. Fantastic, man. Great story. Great story. So why do we get into, um, let's start at the top. Let's start at the top of the reputation of okay. cannabis, right? So, you know, my layman's view of this is that, um, Cannabis has been illegal for uh, many people to procure over uh, several decades. You're going to get into the detail. But because of that, there is quite a, I guess, a a dirty or um, uh, low reputation of that drug. And given that, you kind of think, okay, people take cannabis, they're stoners, they're, they're not progressing in life, they're not, you know, they're, they're not getting after stuff, and they're taking something illegal, so they're <laughs> they're, they're law-breaking citizens. Um, so it's got a bit of a bad rep. So let's yeah. start there and understand why and when cannabis was made illegal and just kind of help us navigate that truth so we can live so, it. Yeah, 100%. But I mean, again, like with anything, it's, it's down to perception. Uh, and if, if you've had a perception drilled into you by whatever external environment that you've been in, then obviously naturally people are going to have that uh, that sort of opinion. However, I mean, when, when you actually look at cannabis, um, it's it's been 
illegal for around about 90 years. But prior to that, um, we've got, I think the furthest back so far that they've had records is 10,000 years. Uh, there's obviously uh, a lot of information on on humans using it. So 10,000 years ago, uh, sort of the region that we now call modern day Taiwan, uh, there was the first instances of cannabis use. And it also coincides with uh, the, the first agricultural crop. Um, now that was hemp. So that was obviously used uh, nutritionally. Uh, it would have been used uh, for uh, things like building materials, rope, clothing, that kind of thing. And you see that again, 6,000 BC in, in modern day China, the same. Um, in India, they've used it. We all we'll know they've used it in every form for at least uh, 3,000 years. And it's actually one of the, uh, the five sacred plants of India. Um, you've got Greece where, where they're finding burial sites, ancient burial sites that were actually, uh, that the people were buried with hemp seeds and, and the dried leaves. Uh, which kind of symbolizes that it was an important plant to take to the afterlife with them. Uh, and then more recently, the first time it showed up in the UK was uh, actually King Henry VIII would actually fine his constituents if they didn't grow hemp. Uh, and this was kind of uh, actually sort of, um, uh, this is something that was mirrored in, uh, in the US in the 1700s in sort of Connecticut, Massachusetts, and I believe Virginia, uh, where farmers by law had to grow hemp and they could also pay their taxes as late as the 1800s with hemp as well. Um, so as you can see, I mean, that, that's a real brief. I mean, there's so many things you can go over in that 10,000 year period, but that gives you an idea on how synonymous um, sort of cannabis and hemp and, and the whole plant was with, with human culture actually serving as the, uh, the initial uh, agricultural hemp that actually uh, gave us a st sustainable civilization, which is quite amazing. But then in the turn of the 19th century, the, the wheels started in motion for this to change. Um, and again, this isn't conjecture. This is all uh, factual information. This is what you can check on, uh, on, on, on any of the sites that will tell you about the actual journey. So in, in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, you've got two gentlemen by the name of Andrew Carnegie and John Rockefeller um, through the Carnegie uh, Foundation that were trying to sell pharmaceuticals. Uh, now, their own pharmaceuticals. And what was happening is they were getting a lot of pushback and a lot of resistance from um, medical practitioners across the US. Um, so basically... The funny thing is, is I believe, and I'm trying to get confirmation of this, but I believe this is where the original uh, sort of snake oil salesman sort of thing came from, because the doctors were basically saying, we're not interested in your potions and pills. What we have works, it's fine. So they were getting a lot of pushback, basically. Uh, and in the early 1900s, they, they contacted a gentleman by the name of Ibrahim Flexner, and they basically funded a report called the Flexner Report. Mm, I've uh, heard of yeah. So what that report was, I mean, I agree with that. If you were to say to anybody about what this type of report was, you'd agree a hundred percent. So you think about the size of the United States and back then they had so many different medical practitioners. There was no centralization of um, medical education. And what this Flexner report was under the guise of was actually to centralize uh, all medical practice, education and procedure and obviously treatments, et cetera. Um, but what they did is when they did that report, they only included uh, their own pharmaceutical medications. There were no other medications, uh, so no natural uh, medications or approaches were even looked at in the report. So that, that's not a problem. That was completed in 1910. So between 1910 and 1920, they changed their tactics slightly. They were trying to get it out to the doctors who were still sort of uh, having none of it. Um, but what they were doing at the same time is they were recruiting very powerful shareholders, like uh, just, just big corporations, uh, senators, congressmen, that kind of thing. And in 1920, um, basically what they did with the Flexner Report, the full backing of the US Senate, uh, and obviously their billions of pounds, they basically passed the bill. They got the bill passed uh, or forced through the, the Senate. 
Um, and what happened overnight, although they weren't illegal and, the, and there was nothing wrong with cannabis or other natural uh, remedies, they were basically written out of the medical books. So the actual books uh, that, uh, that people were then told that they had to learn from, uh, the university sort of uh, courses, et cetera, they were all based on this specific Flexner report. Um, and they weren't allowed to practice anything that wasn't on it. And, and by the end of the 1920s, actually doctors were being put in prison if they continued using these other methods. Um, so that was the first sort of real phase that kicked in, obviously, that what we know as the pharma, pharmaceutical industry. Um, but at that time, cannabis was still legal. It was still something that people used recreationally. It was still something that people used for self-medication. Um, they even made tinctures uh, like we, we have today in, in the 30s as well. Mm. So it was something that was used quite heavily. Um, but again, the turn of the 1930s is just after the end of the alcohol prohibition era. Um, so there was a gentleman by the name of Harry J. Anslinger, um, and he was basically uh, a part of the narcotics division of the, uh, let me get this right, it was the U.S. Treasury. So it was the Treasury side of the narcotics. And he was heavily involved in the prohibition. And once that was over, he was promoted to the head of the, the narcotics division. Um, now, during the time of prohibition, he had come out a number of times very openly uh, because there was a, a bit of a campaign starting against cannabis to, just to talk out about it, just saying, look, I don't see that cannabis is, is dangerous for humans. It doesn't turn people uh, violent. I, I think it's all poppycock. So he was quite a, an a open advocate uh, for, for cannabis. But as soon as he became part of the, the, the sort of a higher end of the narcotics, I believe he had meetings with a number of industries, uh, one being the petrochemical industry who had recently sort of, um, they had bought a large section of the upcoming nylon, nylon business or nylon production business. And then you had the other one, which was the paper and or logging industry. And they had been sort of trying to get, they'd been lobbying uh, the governments for years to try and get some help because they, they purely couldn't, they couldn't actually compete with, with hemp. Hemp's so much more sustainable than, 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 than paper and wood that they literally just knew they couldn't sort of uh, compete. So they had been lobbying. So to give people a bit of an idea on what that basically means, um, so hemp will grow from seed to harvest in about 13 weeks. And one acre of hemp uh, will basically breathe in about four times the amount of carbon dioxide of trees. And hemp can basically do, other than hardwood, it can do everything that trees can plus more, uh, even into biofuels that, um, that are obviously uh, emission-free. Um, I mean, more recently, we've discovered we can make uh, both biodegradable plastic as well as military-grade plastic, obviously rope, paper, all the kind of things we've always had, and it's, it's nutritional side. So basically, they, they, they lobbied, uh, and there is, um, there's, there's claims that basically uh, Mr. Anslinger was uh, incentivized because he immediately changed uh, his opinion. So he went from saying it was it was safe, it wasn't bad for humans, and, and he basically started uh, this ongoing sort of racially motivated uh, propaganda campaign, and it was directed at migrant uh, workers. Uh, and what what basically he was doing, uh, you may have heard of this. There were um, adverts being put out in movies about the devil's weed. Uh, there was a child that apparently took one drag on a joint and then axe murdered his whole family. Uh, it apparently was being linked to insanity, all this sort of stuff, and none, none of it was true. It was just propaganda. Um, I think one thing that really stands out, and this will give you a bit of an idea on how, how this, uh, this propaganda campaign was managed, is the one thing he wanted to be remembered for uh, was uh, this, this quote, which was, Reefer makes the darkies think that they're as good as the white man. And that oh, was wow. taglines in this, this sort of uh, demonization of, of, of cannabis, while at the same time, obviously dealing with uh, migrant workers as well. 
Um, now, at the same time, there was actually a counter campaign run by 30 of the top pharmacologists from the American Medical Association, uh, and they basically objected to the ban uh, wholeheartedly um, and basically counter uh, every, sing every single claim that was made by Anslinger and this, sort of, this movement was, was countered. It was actually contradicted in the first ever research paper carried out into, into cannabis. Um, but all he did was swept it under the carpet and said it was unscientific and, and the ban basically went ahead. Um, and that ban was in the US. Did that then propagate fairly rapidly across the world? Yes. So as, as I'm sure you can, you can sort of imagine, um, the US pretty much lead the way when it comes to these kind of things. So if it happens in the US, then we tend to sort of follow suit pretty quickly. Um, and obviously the, the sort of might and power of the, the kind of corporations and the, and the setup uh, over in the States, specifically from that, that strange time of the 19th century turning. I mean, it just seems to be that that's where the United States became a corporation as opposed to obviously what we know, know it for itself. Uh, so, so yeah, so that, that definitely sort of filtered down to us, to other areas in, in Europe and, and other sort of uh, what we call developed nations. Um, but if you look at the, the history of cannabis, if you follow the Americans, basically we, we sort of uh, uh, followed suit. Now there were, I mean, again, with reg uh, regards to the States, obviously there were different levels of it becoming sort of vilified and then uh, illegal. I think it was actually 1936 in the States that eventually was uh, made illegal. And in 1942, it was when it was officially written out of all American pharmacopoeia from a medical side as well. Um, so that kind of just disappeared, um, obviously, off the, uh, off the radar completely. Okay. Okay. And is the, uh, obviously we, we, you can reminisce about the sixties and seventies and, you know, the kind of hippie movement, the peace movement, and, you know, that being like, you know, a loving culture, lots of weed everywhere, but that was done for the most part illegally, right? Because we've only recently allowed marijuana to become legal again in certain States in America. Right. So, that, that it seems to be, it continues, it, it continues to be a drug that is synonymous with humans. But for the most part, at least for my life and, and 30, 40 years beforehand, it has been illegal to consume it, even though we know that people do. Yeah, certainly. And I think it's funny as well, because I mean, you can look at um, cannabis itself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I look into a lot of that era as well, with regards to a few of my sort of personal interests, but also uh, with regards to how the stuff I'm learning is going. So I'm actually, um, without going off, off subjects, so I'll just mention it for quickly. I'm, my next one is um, medicinal psychotropic plants medicine. Uh, so obviously there's naturally an involvement there back in the 60s. And there was mm. a movement, the, the hippies. But it, it also seems to think that, that these, these, um, these things, which like you said, they are synonymous with peace and they are synonymous with this, this movement of people wanting more love. And, and that seems to be dangerous to, I mean, again, this is a bit uh, conspiracy theorist and, and it's not necessarily the way I, I look at it, but it's the way it gets portrayed is the actions they have. It just seems that these things are a bit dangerous to the establishment. Um, and I think when people do open up their minds a little bit and, and sort of get into groups, they talk, they, they, do you know what I mean? They offer their opinions. They, they, they form an opinion from other people's uh, sort of perceptions and, and it, it moves people forward. It moves nations forward. And I think if you're, that way inclined, then obviously that that is completely controlled when you take these substances uh, off, off off the shelf, and it's even more so controlled when you make them illegal and, you, and actually criminals out. Do you know what? That's that's really funny, man. That you've said that because my um, certain part, certain members of my family have been smoking weed all their lives, and yeah. I've I've ne I guess uh, if I'm honest, I kind of frowned upon it as a kid because I never really 
got involved. I had it a few times. It, just, it made me green. I wasn't up for it. Anyway, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, close members of family would always, you know, have a spliff in their hand most of the, most of the day. And one thing that strikes me is like immediately obvious when you think about those individuals is that they were deep thinkers. They were reflective. They wanted to discuss politics. They wanted to get into the the weeds of discussions, excuse the pun, and just generally just shoot the shit. It was very, very reflective people and open-minded people because I guess more time to think. And what you've just said there is like, it's, you know, that goes against the establishment of like, you must think a certain way, you must behave a certain way, you must believe everything you're told. Um, this drug kind of, as opposed to alcohol, which, you know, you get inebriated, and you kind of lose the ability to communicate and, and act after a few too many. Balancing act, isn't it? With, with, with weed, it, it actually kind of brings out more discussion, um, more, more philosophical discussion. I mean, is that fair? Have I made an overgeneralization, or would you say that that kind of psycho- psychoactive property generally is is perhaps something that would have been a problem for people? I think, that- I think if you look at it on the whole, I mean, I think that there's always going to be isolated cases with anything where where maybe it isn't the case. But I think if you look on the whole, and, and I've, certainly in my experience with my my social circle, because we we are all people that at various times have partaken, and, and some still do, etc. And, and we've never. We've never. We, we, I mean, the whole reason I was in my group of friends is because they were a group of friends that were. There was no uh, negative. There was no. There was no going out looking for fights and things like that. It was all very, very. Sort of, they, they were the sort of people I wanted to surround, to surround myself with. They were a nice bunch, and they also all, all happened to, to, to be smokers. And, and I'm not saying it's the case with everybody. You can't. You can't sort of blanket it and say that everyone that smokes weed is is peace loving. Because I know there are a lot of people that are, are completely different. But they're debaters generally. You find that debate yeah. gets kind of exactly. like. Uh, fueled, enhanced. Yeah, and I'd say they're important people. If you actually really genuinely want to push forward and actually move forward and and progress uh, with with anything, uh, whether it be um, things like what we're going through at the moment, like the political movements and issues, and whether it be the environment or whatever it might be. Again, whatever it might be, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to agree with everything, but they tend to sit down and have conversations where both sides of the argument is listened to. And they also, in my experience, seem to be a little bit more open to changing their way of thinking if the, if someone makes a valid point. They're not so stuck in their their ways. Uh, and again, that that is a generalisation, but that's my experience from the group of people that I surround myself with. And, and I think that is something. If you look on the larger scale of things, um, as I say, people in in sort of big groups getting on talking are pretty dangerous. If if uh, if there is indeed some sort of agenda that uh, that that is going on of of some sort of control. Um, it's funny actually to mention as well. I mean, obviously going back to what we we were saying just now is is when it was made illegal in, in the 30s. I mean, what we've now had as a result of that uh, is we've had 90 years of lost research. Whether they were researching it um, uh, with the wrong intentions or whatever, they just stopped researching it. Uh, you've got 90 years where there's been no training or expertise get gathered by our trusted GPs on it. Lost wisdom. Uh, yeah, a lot, a massive loss of wisdom. I mean, that's that's a whole two generations of of, of qualified doctors, you know. And, and I'm, what that also is, is is you've got a number of people out there that naturally, and they should do, is they take direction from their doctor, from their qualified GP. Um, and what it's basically done is, is is because these people don't have the knowledge. It's not. I don't think they're complicit in it, by the way. Uh, it's just been removed from their their sort of uh, their textbooks, so they're not yeah. exposed to it. They don't know anything about it. And that is actually something that you see. 
uh, mirrored by a lot of doctors. So you've got some doctors that are very conservative and it's like, don't touch that, it's bad or it doesn't work, it's snake oil or whatever, they've got an opinion. You do also have some very forward thinking uh, sort of doctors that actually will say something like, look, I don't know anything about it. I'm not trained in it. I've got no information to give you. However, give it a go. It can't hurt. So it really, it's sort of, that is something that we're seeing a lot of at the moment. So the, the one, one, I didn't think I was going to go here, but one last question on this kind of piece is obviously the an appropriate vilification yeah. of uh, cigarettes, right? So cigarette smoking that at one point in time was considered healthy and promoted by doctors and over a period of decades, we saw through the uh, the propaganda, we were able to start, we were able to see correlations that were tightly connected to lung cancer. cancer. And I don't think it's debatable. I think most people know that smoking, you know, cigarettes, nicotine, uh, the way that they're manufactured today is not health promoting. So I, I think when you when you kind of see that direction of travel, you attach smoking weed in that same vein, like, oh, it's got to be the same. It's inhaling smoke and it's going to cause you all the same problems. What do you say to that? Now, I know we're talking primarily, we're going to be talking primarily about CBD for the rest of the conversation, which is an oil versus inhaling smoke. But what's your perspective on marijuana smoke versus smoking uh, nicotine cigarettes? Well, the good thing, I'm glad you mentioned that. It's a very, very good question. And it's something that, uh, again, a lot of people aren't uh, aware that it's probably one of the most researched areas for cannabis um, because they're, 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 they're really, really keen to find some sort of link to some sort of respiratory or stroke or some sort of um, uh, cardiovascular issue with, with smoking weed. And actually, there has been another, um, uh, another sort of research paper, a neutral research paper, recently um, completed into the stroke side of things and also the cardiovascular, and, and there is no link whatsoever. There's never been any link or anybody dying from smoking cannabis. Now, one thing I will say is, 90, specifically in the UK, 90% of people will smoke it with tobacco, uh, and mm. they know that bit. They can't, you can't really do much about it, but uh, we'll come to some of the areas where um, the research seems to su- suggest that that potentially um, could, could even itself out because of the, the potential anti-tumor uh, side of things with with cannabis and the endocannabinoid system, but yeah, you know, you're totally right. I mean, at, at the end of the day, there's there's definitely there's naturally going to be a link towards it. There's going to be a, a link towards people having respiratory problems. But despite all of the uh, all of what you would think, and and obviously smoke is going into the lungs, and 99.9 percent of smokes out there are carcinogenic. They haven't found any carcinogens and no link to any any issues as a result of smoking it. Um, uh, interesting, but as you say, that they are kind of so interlinked by just the, the kind of habits yeah. of, of smoke of smoking weed and i guess you know people smoking marijuana that generally i would suspect are going to smoke far less yeah as they do smoke cigarettes especially if you start becoming a bit of a chain smoker you smoke you know 10 to 20 cigarettes a day which are manufactured that are lots have lots of additives and chemicals in them it's a different it's a different ball game right a natural substance versus a highly manufactured substance. That being said, I do think the jury's out on whether inhaling smoke on a, on a chronic basis is a good idea. So um, I think more research needs to be done there. And I can see how the, the water is muddied by just the, the use of, uh, of this drug. So, okay. Um, so I, think, I think also coming back to the more research, I mean, more research is needed full stop across the board. And again, we, I've, I've got a section I'd like to cover on that and I'll go into it in a bit more detail. 
Um, I think there's a lot of research at the moment, obviously showing that um, inhaling cannabis seems to be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty okay. But again, you can never have too much research. Yeah, uh, always good to know who's doing the research as well, and if they have any kind of ulterior motive or more their vested interests on yeah. both on both sides. By the way, not yeah. not just the side of disproving this thing. Of course, of course. So um, let's let's talk about why um, we we want to kind of put cannabis or more in, more in particular the components within cannabis on this pedestal of health promoting, right? So there's two compounds that people probably have heard of quite a bit, THC and CBD. But before we even get to that, there's this endocannabinoid system, which I think is fascinating. So let's talk about what that is, and then that hopefully can lead us into why exogenous cannabinoids are actually valuable for our body. One hundred percent. So, so basically, um, so th- this this will go uh, again with the narrative that I was mentioning earlier about. I mean, I don't think there's any anybody out there that sort of um, uh, sort of has anything to argue about that there was a very strange uh, sort of uh, agenda against cannabis early on. But I mean, we want to move forward. We don't want to be living in the past. That was a mistake that happened. We want to move on. However, when you look at it, I mean, although attitudes are starting to change in places like the US, where obviously they're, they're starting to legalize it, decriminalize it, so that there is a big uh, shift there. But in, in sort of medical associations, uh, and uh, as, as an example, the UK, uh, there's, still, there's, there's still this, uh, this one to try and uh, kind of suppress it or, uh, or hold back some of the sort of, sort of benefits that, uh, that it's actually offering. Um, which is quite strange. And that, that is actually what the endocannabinoid system is a perfect example. So 30 years ago, uh, an Israeli or tw- 29 years ago, an Israeli scientist is actually very, very, he's, he's the most uh, well-known um, medicinal cannabis researcher or, or cannabinoid researcher that there is. He's been going since the 60s. What's his and name? He, so uh, do you know what? I actually haven't got his name here and I always, always really struggle to say it. So I'm not <laughs> Don't worry, I just wondered if you knew. No, no, good. No but I do know, but it's, it's a tough one. But anyway, he, he pops up all the time. And what, what he was doing is basically they were trying to work out uh, how it was that THC, the cannabinoid that you mentioned just now, which is the cannabinoid which is associated with that, that feeling of high and stone that you get uh, with recreational cannabis. So he was actually trying to find out how that uh, obviously affected or, or put its effects on the body. So what they did is they radio tagged THC um, cells, or THC, uh, put it into the human body, and then they watched where it went. Uh, and basically, they, they found it embedded in these receptors that they'd never seen before, and the endocannabinoid system was discovered. Um, so basically, uh, so they made this discovery around about 30 years ago. Since they made that discovery, they very quickly um, realized that it was a very important system because it was on every sort of main function within the body, uh, the brain, the liver, the kidneys, uh, the heart, uh, the peripheral and central nervous system. Um, also the immune system, the digestive tract, and, and the whole lot, the spleen, uh, a number of different um, uh, sort of glandular areas as well. So they knew that it was obviously quite important. And then once they knew it was there, they could see it was consistently or constantly excited uh, or, or, or in action. So anyway, 10, uh, there's been a minimum of 10 published peer-reviewed papers every single month since it was discovered back in the 90s. Um, with the vast majority of them being extremely, extremely positive. Um, so there's a hell of a lot of um, sort of uh, research on the subject, but still nobody at all is talking about it. So even in the States where it's been legal for, for two years, and obviously there is a big uh, explosion of, of research and, and uh, uh, sort of um, education out there, there's still only about 10% of doctors that even know uh, that the endocannabinoid system exists. 
Um, and that's, I mean, when, when you try, when you find out what the endocannabinoid system does, you kind of sort of look at it and think, I mean, I can understand it happening back 90 years ago because big pharma wanted to establish themselves. And, and, and again, the only reason that can be, can be given is, is that they want to suppress the, the potential of the system. Uh, now, CBD, THC, um, CBG, all these cannabinoids, 113 different cannabinoids uh, in the hemp and ca- uh, cannabis plant, they have all been shown to interact with um, the, the ECS, much the same as our own endogenous or personal um, sort of uh, cannabinoids, which are actually created by our body. Um, and now what, what they found with these cannabinoids is, is what they basically do is they keep an eye out for environment changes. Um, so not only do they sort of generally just uh, work away and make sure everything's ticking over as it should. So the endocannabinoid system's job is basically to uh, achieve homeostasis of the body or, or complete balance within the body. Um, and so, so uh, and it's, it's something that's present in all mammals and every single animal that's, uh, that's, that has a vertebrae, so every complex animal. Um, and what, what they did when they looked into it, they actually found that it sort of controls, influences, or, or at least manipulates every single physiological system within the body. There's not one process in our body that isn't in some way influenced by the endocannabinoid system. Um, and that's, that's from embryonic sort of development. So your embryonic uh, egg, um, is it, the ECS actually determines if that fertilized egg will actually um, Im, uh, implant into the uterium, uterium wall. So it starts that, that, that early on in, in life. Uh, all the way through to things like um, immuno surveillance, so it keeps an eye on your immune system. Uh, and it actually enacts how your immune system will approach any particular health uh, issue that comes up. So it produces things called cytokines, uh, and those cytokines then actually uh, tell the immune system the best approach to take to any kind of uh, uh, attack or environmental change that it has. So, I mean, they're, they're kind of like little tiny little project managers. So, the, so the best I've, way. I've, I've heard, oh, sorry, sorry, man, I've, I've heard that. Um, the endocannabinoid system is, 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 as you say, it's about homeostasis and to try and create tone in, in the body, right? So I heard this example, actually, you, you shared me a video, which was really elegantly discussed, uh, where if you take the brain, for example, uh, the endocannabinoids are, are there or the, endo, the, the, the system is there to dial down the noise so if the noise gets too heavy in the brain i anxiety starts to build up and there's too much connections there's too much input coming in from one synapse to the next yeah, yeah. Uh, end of the can- cannabinoid system is there to almost like regulate to down regulate the noise yeah. by basically sending chemicals back upstream to the to the um you know the the pre- predecessor synapse and yeah. basically asking it to shut down some of its production of neurotransmitters and in doing so create more balance so we don't basically spiral out of control where a, a stress state becomes incredibly stressful and then kills us right so it's from my understanding it's trying to bring us and dial us back from things going getting over the top is that is that a layman's from a layman's perspective is that you know, partly true it's, it's partly true. So this, this is where, so this is where my mind got blown by the endocannabinoid system. So it does that and it, it does, it does every, it does. So when it needs to be excitatory, it's excitatory. When it needs to wind things back in, it winds things back in and it knows how to do that itself, uh, depending on what those environment changes are. It's, it's so intelligent. So uh, to, to make it quite, uh, so, so basically what it is, the, the, the endocannabinoid system is, is like an extremely complex biological signaling system. 
And the, um, there's a couple of analogies out there. The one that you would have seen on that video, which I actually really like. I've only just started using it to be honest. So it's like if you imagine a switchboard in your body and every single function in your body, whether it be uh, movement, coordination, whether it be appetite, whether it be uh, your sort of mood, uh, whether it be um, your, your stress levels, your pain, inflammation, all this kind of stuff. They are all basically part of that um, signal. They have receptors on that signaling system. So when there's an issue, the, the endocannabinoid system is what sends the signals to the relevant parts of the body to say that something isn't right and work needs to be done, quite often via the brain. Um, as, but as that's you know, different from horm uh, hormonal systems of you know, cortisol and adrenaline and dopamine. Like we're, we're in a different place now, right? Completely. Yeah, it's, because obviously hormones are our chemical messengers that set, you know, ghrelin and leptin or, you know, describe whether we should be hungry or be in a fed state. So we've got chemicals all over our body that kind of send those signals as necessary, such as insulin, glucagon. But this is different from that hormonal system? Where it's different is is it's just the signals. So everything, So the hormonal system deals with hormones, the nervous system deals with nerves. Uh, the pulmonary system deals with the pulmonary, uh, pulmonary area, and that's what it happens. So basically, the endocannabinoid system controls, influences, or manipulates every single one of those things when it's needed to be moved into action. So as I say, it's a signaling system that basically says, hang on a minute, there's a problem down here. And the way it does it is the endocannabinoid system is basically made up. If you look at it on a picture, it looks very similar to a nervous system picture. Uh, and what it is basically, it's it's thousands and thousands of tiny receptors all over those areas of the body that I mentioned earlier, the the, the internal organs, um, the, the brain, uh, the, as I say, the heart, the the uh, the immune system, and and also um, our body produces those cannabinoids, anandamide and two AG, and those um, those two um, sort of uh, cannabinoids actually then bind or or bind either directly or indirectly to these uh, these receptors to produce a response that is needed. So whatever that response might be. And those responses are usually just to, to try and knock things back into line. It can also be uh, external environment, environment changes like uh, having a car accident and, and really bashing yourself. So they also uh, play a very vital role in the start and the whole process with regards to inflammation. Right. So make sure that the inflammation kicks in, the blood vessels open to let all the blood in to, to, do, to do its work. The microphages uh, obviously then take all the bad stuff out and then once that uh, the work's done and the repairing is, is happening, they, they sort of kind of look around again like project managers. They say, my job's done here. They reduce the presence of, um, uh, of, of, of endocannabinoids in an area. And then the swelling starts to go down. They, they literally control and project manage every sort of uh, physiological uh, action that our body needs. Fascinating. It's, it's insane. Absolutely fascinating. And to, to think that this really is not within our textbooks today, is it? Still not know. I'll give you. I'll give you another. This is a really good example, actually, because I'm. Talk, we were talking about immune system just now. So an, an example of how in, insane its complexity is. So in the immune system, um, the endocannabinoid system has the ability to suppress the immune system in cases of excessive uh, inflammation, uh, with regards to pain, um, sort of with uh, with regards to uh, autoimmunity like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but then it also has the same ability to stimulate it in cases of things like Alzheimer's, um, when sort of uh, we need microphages to try and clear away the amyloid protein uh, um, buildup in, in the brain. So it, it can do whatever the body is requiring it to, and, and, and it does it seamlessly. It knows what it needs to do. 
it's it's just insane. Absolutely. Can can this system go bad? Um, we talk about the immune, you know, having a suppressed immune system or having a suppressed pulmonary system. Um, yeah. Can this system become unwell? Uh, do you know what? Amazing question. I'm, I'm, I, I didn't expect you to ask that, and, and that's possibly that's a, it's a great question. So basically, it can go bad. It can go bad by, and it does go bad by lifestyle. Uh, and so, t- so, and another thing as well is, like I said to you earlier, there is a massive attitude change towards cannabis. So, so if we use the US as an example, a lot of very, very top um, MDs and PhD doctors have defected over to the medicinal cannabis side. Um, and they, a lot of those are actually, they're actually championing research. They're not there just trying to make a buck. It's quite funny. They're actually funding the research that we need. Um, and what they're, they're basically finding um, via that research is they're actually, they're actually down a rabbit hole at the moment, looking into the amount of chronic illnesses that we suffer and the link to an endocannabinoid deficiency. So if you think about the endocannabinoid system, this isn't just about smoking weed, taking CBD, et cetera. This is also down to the fact that for as long as we can remember, we have had hemp in our diets. So we've been eating raw versions of this that aren't psychoactive, but they have all those amazing benefits to stimulate our, our cannabinoid system to work as it should do. Um, so when you're getting cases of endocannabinoid deficiency, which a lot of people are getting, and that's normally down to outside stressors like stress, lack of sleep, lack of exercise, poor diet, smoking. And actually the biggest uh, thing that's being linked to it is ongoing prescription drug uh, intake. Right. So yes, that, that, that system can become bad. And if that system becomes bad, it's quite literally like taking the bottom uh, sort of uh, uh, block out of a Jenga tower. So it really is, it, it, it's taking the, the foundations away from all of those systems that, that rely upon it to actually be efficient so they can do their jobs as well. Got it, got it. This it is fascinating. And to think that, as you say, that your endocannabinoid tone can be regulated um, by so many activities such as yoga and exercise and nutrition. Um, this is blowing my mind because I've spent zero time thinking about this. And as you've said, this really doesn't feature in any scientific literature as it relates to yeah, education right now. So I think there's just so much that needs to be done if we're to understand this without the smoke and mirrors, without the snake oil, without someone trying to make a quick buck of selling a product that potentially could engage with it. But let's understand this in a way which it becomes mainstream. So this this conversation is part of that. Um, but I did have another question. Uh, I haven't prepped you for this. So I don't know if you know the answer. But like hormones, hormones start from raw materials and cholesterol is a is, is a leading raw material that is used in the creation of our sex hormones for example as well as vitamin d so we know that we need the raw materials in which to be able to create a healthy hormone balance do we know if there are raw materials that come nutritionally through our diet excluding hemp for a moment that play a role in yeah creating that, that raw material for the endogenous cannabinoids that we create. 100%. So, so one of the amazing things, this book that I showed you earlier, the Chai Guide that I learned um, about 18 months ago when I bought it. So it goes through, um, it goes through mind-body medicine as well. So it's, some of it's a little bit too holistic for me. It's a little mm. bit sort of the fairies, but again, I'm sure uh, there's some something behind it. But it also goes into um, spices, herbs, and vegetables as well that also are good. And there's a number of vegetables. So broccoli has a uh, cannabinoid in it. It's a cannabinoid called E-carb... Carf- 
I'm going to need to get this one. This is a really, really difficult one. But yeah, so there's there's a number of uh, specifically greens, for what I can tell, but there are a number of vegetables and fruits that also contain cannabinoids as well. But the ba- the basis is is what they've worked out with a cannabinoid system. Your your cannabinoid system produces. So if you have an issue, this is the other amazing thing with with the cannabinoid system. So what it will do, the endocannabinoid system will re- react on site. So because they are, they're, they're basically FAAHs, the fatty acids, uh, fatty amino acids, hydrolose. Um, so they're the perfect, so, and, and that, that's, that's how they work. So obviously you being water-based body, they don't travel very well. So the endocannabinoid system also actually does its work. So they, they produce on-site, they do their work, they make sure everything's sorted, and then they metabolize back in on-site as well. So there's not uh, any of this traveling around the body. And that has actually right. been one of the hardest uh, or one of the most difficult uh, uh, sort of roadblocks that uh, CBD oil and uh, THC oils have faced is is getting that water, uh, sorry, that oil-based uh, product into a, into a water-based system. Um, but yeah, so that, so the way that they work is is completely incredible. But what will tend to happen is if you're deficient in in that, that's normally down to lifestyle changes. So the way to stimulate it is yes, 100% a balanced diet, full stop. Anyway, eat the rainbow, you know, as they say. Um, that's something you should do from a point of view of, of general health, your gut biota as well. That will give you the, the, the right bacteria in your tummy at the same time. But also, as I say, a number of those will actually have um, uh, cannabinoids in there. Um, obviously, get the right amount of sleep, exercise properly, try not to smoke. And if you're going to smoke, as I say, make sure you do all the rest of the things that you should be doing. Uh, and by doing that, it basically stimulates your endocannabinoid system to pick up the reins. Um, so if you if you've got a healthy endocannabinoid system, you've got you're healthy all around, and and that's working as it should. The theory is it's quite literally anything that happens to your body, it's it's on it's, it's spinning plates basically. And what we're doing is by eating the right food and we're uh, exercising, doing all these other things. There's less plates for the endocannabinoid system to to, to be spinning. Okay. That's, that's that's possibly a way of putting it. So so yeah. So with regards to stimulating, you can stimulate it with all of your lifestyle choices, and you can affect it with all your lifestyle choices too. And this is where I think is is a good place to start. You know, focusing our discussion on CBD because you know you and I have spoken before. Um, I've I'm doing everything I can to live an optimized life. Um, I'm not a biohacker. I'm not ex- excessively doing anything. I'm not you know, measuring my bloods every two seconds. I'm not buying these, you know, newfangled pieces of equipment, albeit I did buy a sauna recently and that was amazing. Um, but but for the, <laughs> for the most part, I'm just eating well, getting good sleep, making sure yeah. I can socialize, having, you know, having good workouts, caring for my, my mindset, and it's doing me wonders. I feel amazing, you know, 99% of the time. I've not engaged with any smoking or cbd oil and therefore i guess if you're doing all these other lifestyle factors you probably have a relatively healthy endocannabinoid system already the que- the question is can you optimize it with cbd oil and if you don't have a healthy endocannabinoid system does the introduction of cbd now bring some balance where balance is not there where it is imbalanced. So that's where I'd like us to kind of key into CBD, right? Let's talk about why CBD oil, what is it? And how is it different from weed? How is it different from THC? And maybe start digging into a bit of the science that's supporting CBD in particular. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what, what I will do is I'll, I will cover those pieces most certainly. So CBD is, as we've mentioned a few times now, it's a cannabinoid that's found in the uh, the plant cannabis sativa. Um, hemp. 
Uh, and what that basically is, uh, cannabinoids, there's around about 113 cannabinoids that have so far been isolated from the hemp plant. Uh, and these cannabinoids are very, very similar to the, the cannabinoids in our body. Uh, and, and what numerous um, sort of uh, research and preclinical trials have found uh, is that they actually, um, they sort of uh, work with the endocannabinoid system in much the same way as our own uh, endogenous cannabinoids do. Um, so obviously what they, what they tend to do is, is especially, so, so the issue is, is whether you're leave, living the, the most healthy lifestyle possible. The unfortunate thing is we're all surrounded by, I mean, again, not going to go off on a, uh, a tangent, but we're all surrounded by um, Wi-Fi, we're all living in a country which is uh, pumped full of pollution. We've got these things that we don't actually have any, any sort of a control over. So it's here where you have someone that says healthy all my life, never smoked, never drank, uh, exercised, ran marathons, got cancer and died. The, the unfortunate thing is that chance is still there no matter how uh, sort of healthy you are. And I'm not saying that by doing the CBD is going to guarantee that it doesn't happen, but all it does, it just, it just really puts you in, into the best position possible to make sure that uh, those aren't happening. And when you actually obviously understand some of the, again, I'm going to say preclinical, uh, there, are, there are some trials that are further down, but especially the mountains of preclinical trials um, into what it does in the background as a, as a preventative. So um, I, I don't really want to go too far into to research as such with regards to boring people. Uh, but obviously, I don't want them thinking, I'm just going to say research shows and, and, and not back it up. So, so when you look at cancer, as an example, so a real, real basic biology lesson here for anybody out there that doesn't know. So because they need to understand what cancer is to understand the methods of it working. Mm. So, so, so cancer in its simplest term is the proliferation of cells. And what that basically means is the exponential creation of new cells. Uh, and it's that exponential creation which causes havoc in an area that allows a, a tumor to sort of invade healthy cells. Now, the other part of that process is something called angiogenesis, which is basically the, the uh, production or the creation of new blood vessels. And it's those blood vessels that feed the cancerous tumor. So those two things together, they're not the only processes, but they're the two main processes to, to why cancer is so uh, violent and why it takes on the healthy area so much. Now, there are a number of studies, but I'm going to cite a couple at the moment from 2003 and 2004, one in Italy and one in Spain. Um, and these have been um, mirrored in a number of other preclinical tests. Uh, what that basically showed, and it was on uh, this one was on brain cancer or brain tumors. It basically found that uh, cannabis had the, uh, sorry, CBD, not cannabis, this was just specifically on CBD. CBD had the ability, um, it had an anti-proliferative effect. So it basically stopped proliferation of cells and actually created what we call cell apoptosis, which is the death of cancer cells. But it managed to do that by only targeting the cancer cells. It didn't touch any of the unhealthy cells around it. So when you dig deeper into the research into sort of cellular level, whether it be brain cell or body cells, there's a lot of ev evidence with regards to a number of cannabinoids, not just CBD, where they actually have a very, very sort of advanced um, protective cellular protection. Um, so they actually uh, protect cells um, uh, of uh, healthy cells. So that's why they're also able to sort of target the, the bad and not, not the good. Um, so, so again, that, that sort of thing is, is pretty incredible. But then, as I say, the other side of it, they did the Italian uh, study actually found that it, um, it inhibited a chemical signal that cancer sends out to initiate its feeding, which is angiogenesis, the creation of blood vessels. So it actually cancels out that chemical signal. So therefore, the cancer can't get the signal out to say, I need to be fed. 
So when you're looking at those sort of um, trials, and these are trials, as I say, that have been, they've been modeled in numerous different sort of preclinical trials, uh, in vivo trials, which is living um, sort of either, either controlled uh, small human groups um, or, or animals. And, and they're seeing this repeated everywhere. Now, now as, as I said earlier, we need more research. And, and the, the research that I think we need, and this is one thing I was going to say to you, is there is, I mean, you saw the book I held up just there. That's 18 months out of date. Now, if you type in cannabinoid into PubMed, you get 27,000 papers. Wow. So there's research out there. Now, I'm not saying that's 27 positive, and I'm not saying that's 27 into CBD. That's into cannabinoid in general. If you type in, uh, there's 1,500 published papers on CBD oil uh, and how it sort of uh, positively affects. But then again, there's other sides of it. You've got to look at how, how um, sort of research is also presented. So uh, the way that pre- uh, research works, and sorry if I'm teaching you to suck eggs here, if you, no, if you know. please carry tend on, get, Tend to get an idea or a paper or what we call an in vitro trial in a lab where somebody has an idea and they do something in a test tube or they write it down and go, oh, this looks good. And then it will go to the next stage, which is a preclinical in vivo trial. And that would normally be a small group of people. Uh, let's say, for instance, if it's cancer, it might be a specific institute that says, right, we've got 60 people with cancer here. We're going to do a test. Um, or it will be on animals, normally rodents or, or monkeys. And if those results come back as positive, in the pharmaceutical industry, the average is around about six months from uh, a larger control group to release. Because all they've really got to sort of prove is, is safety. They don't need to prove efficacy. It's more about safety. Now, the same thing happens with cannabis. And I can, I can tell you there are mountains and mountains and mountains of preclinical trials all saying positive things. They don't get picked up. It gets left on the heap and, and you're not allowed to use it because it's preclinical or it might be in a small control group or it's in animals. Another sort of way to look at it as well is, is when it's an animal study, it doesn't mean anything if it's positive. There are two negative an, um, animal trials or t- two negative trials into CBD that, that get cited by every um, sort of medicinal um, sort of association or, or pharmaceutical company. And that, uh, that they are basically two, two uh, trials where there were, they were linked to liver damage. Now, first thing to say is, yes, we need more. We need more of that. But just to put uh, a bit of perspective on it, the first one of those was on um, rhesus monkeys. Um, and the amount of CBD they gave these rhesus monkeys, they basically, even in the actual trial itself, it says you would not be able to get this sort of amount of CBD into your system. It's basically intravenous. Mm. So not really worth the papers written on, but they led to, to, to liver disease. The other one was in mice. Um, now, first thing was weird. They normally use rats, but they use mice for this, this one. And what it was, it was varying different doses. Uh, and in the normal to sort of average doses, there was no problems whatsoever. But in the higher dose, which they classed as uh, a higher recommended dose, um, they did have some very small uh, sort of areas of um, what we call hepopt- uh, hepoptoxicity, uh, which is liver issues. Um, now, I looked at that amount. I personally would never advise anybody take that amount a day. However, again, it just, it just shows that we need to take that to the next level. We need to start moving these, sort of, uh, these, these things to the next level. But the point I was trying to make is that one there that is an animal trial, same as all the positive um, animal trials we have saying that it's a good thing, um, yet they're allowed to sort of cite that one, whereas we have to keep quiet about the uh, uh, apparent lack of, um, sort of research that is available. And as I say, I don't think there's anybody out there with their right mind that would say that we don't need more research. We need them to go to the next level we need somebody to to snap up all this positive preclinical uh, preclinical trials and actually then invest into it. Yeah, the I, one- mean, I, would, I was just 
just going to mention, I had Dr. Nir, Nadir Ali on just recently, and yeah. he is a cardiologist of 30 years, and he done a bit of an expose for us on really the the research and trial process. And it was fascinating to hear. Um, but I asked him the question of how much, how many dollars or how much research is getting spun up by the AHA or the NIH in the US, specifically for nutritional protocols that could be have a profound effect on people's health if we could better understand, you know, that engagement between nutrition and body. And he said, honestly, Steve, they are not getting funded. What you see across those organizations are pharmaceutical RCTs, because these are incredibly expensive to fund. And therefore, you've got to have the right motive, the, the enough capital and the right motive to spend on statisticians, on obviously the researchers, the scientists, you know, find the people perhaps, you know, um, pay for the, the patients to participate. And it costs to follow people throughout time, you know, so you're either going to do an RCT for a couple of weeks, or you're going to try and do something more observational and follow someone for, for years afterwards. Those kind of studies are in, so incredibly expensive, that really, they're not happening. And the only places these nutritional studies are happening are independents that, okay, you may say have bias, because they are trying to prove out a low carb diet or what have you. But no one else is doing it. So they're like the Verta study, for example, they are funding through their own VCs and their own private funding, the these studies to prove out the nutritional impact on lifestyle, on, sorry, on um, health conditions, you know, these chronic diseases. And I think cannabis falls right into that bucket, doesn't it? Of who's going to fund it? Who's going to do the RCT? So in the absence of money, we will not have RCTs. And if we don't have RCTs, then anyone who's kind of remotely engaged in this space will say, well, it's pointless. I don't want to hear anything below the R RCTs because it's, it's just observational. It's anecdotal. I don't want to hear it. And that, I think, is the, the quandary that Any cannabis is in. I think the benefit that cannabis does have is, I mean, again, if it's, it's very easy. I mean, and I, I've watched a lot of people say so it's that podcast you sent to me the other day about those those, gen, those, those lads that were talking about it. Great, great podcast because it, and a great example because it is a, a complete reflection on, on obviously the opinions that people have with, with the less trained mind, because as far as they're concerned, there's, there's no research doesn't do this, doesn't do that. But the fact is there is there is mountains and mountains of preclinical research, which doesn't confirm anything, but it definitely, definitely confirms that there should be follow-up and interest. The one and only difference between um, medicinal cannabis, and, and, and I say medicinal cannabis as well, because it is kind of a standalone, uh, even, even in the holistic space, it's standalone because the fact is you can grow at home. But it's number one, it's a, there's no way of getting any intellectual property um, sort of rights on it. So it's not patentable. Um, and on top of that, the actual um, bigger picture or the big claim, whichever way you look at it, and hopefully, hopefully it's something that will become clearer as more research comes comes out, is is actually by using these things, the potential is a lot of the other ailments are going to go as well. So if you think about, you've got a pharmaceutical industry which obviously is driven by mass mass sort of uh, sort of shareholder uh, dividends, etc., and obviously making a lot of money, and also the people that are investing in funding in it, they're interested in seeing a return. It's not, it's not sort of investable in, in that uh, no. respect because- It's not a good say, business model. And, and they can, I mean, you look at, uh, the, there's, a, there's a number of synthetic um, sort of uh, uh, CBDs and, and uh, um, sort of uh, 
I suppose cannabinoid-based uh, products out there, Epidolex, which is the, the UK one that's used for um, epilepsy, uh, and one called uh, Nabilone, I believe. Um, and actually, they're the ones that are used for most of the research that, um, or most of the official research. And they're also the ones that are linked to the liver damage and things like that. And I think, well, they're synthetic first and foremost. However, that's irrelevant. I mean, at the end of the day, if you took a whole packet of paracetamol, you're going to get a liver damage. It doesn't mean that it doesn't work as a, as a prophylactic for you. For you so it doesn't help work as a, a, a pain reliever. And it doesn't mean that it's not ethical and shouldn't be released. So that, that's why the, the, the sort of next phase uh, does need to be taken. Now, there are a number of companies out there that are doing those next phases. Um, it's just unfortunate that, as I say, because they are private businesses, um, it's, again, it's very easy to, to, to sit there yeah, it's very easy for the people that have a, a narrative they want to, to, to do to, to, to sort of dismiss because you wouldn't see them. Do, I, I can almost assure you they wouldn't be doing it with other other areas. I mean, that they, they sort of champion um, sort of uh, advancements in, in sort of the, these areas because and also they want to sell it as well. So they then start sort of promoting it yeah. before it gets released. Whereas this, it's almost like radio silence and it's almost like suppression. So but like I say, long live the people out there and, and these new sort of um, uh, sort of defectors in the medical industry in, in America, which are hammering out uh, the, the research, like I say, 27,000 uh, on, on PubMed alone and 15,000, uh, sorry, 1,500 confirmed and completed CBD papers. The vast majority definitely showing that this needs to be taken to the next level and, and pretty much building up a picture that, yeah, a lot of it may be small control groups uh, and, and you can't roll that out globally on 60 people, I understand. We're seeing the same kind of results in those that we're getting from the anecdotal evidence and the millions of people worldwide that are sort of taking it. I, I also look at my own client base. The majority of my clients, believe it or not, are um, older women or, or men that have had no sort of exposure whatsoever to cannabis. They actually are the people that need convincing. They don't come with any sort of expectation whatsoever. They're not, they're not coming as advocates wanting it to work. And... I would say across the board, pretty much, I have positive results with with, with pretty much all of them. I've not lost a client yet um, that's that's using it for certain things, and and I have, and and this isn't this isn't overselling it. I have a, a number of terminally ill cancer patients. Um, now, there are going to be other areas, and people can say that it could be down to the the other sort of medications they're on. I'll, I'll give you three examples that I always like to use. Now, I won't give any personal details out for obvious reasons. Um, but I was introduced to a gentleman in October 2018. He had been given, basically been told to get his affairs in order. He was given around about two months to live with a, a brain tumor. And I got introduced to him and didn't just send him a bottle of CBD, went for a proper um, sort of consultation with him, found out exactly what type of cancer he had, where it was, what stage it was, what medications he was on, all this kind of stuff. And then just went and researched it and gave him my notes that I'd found. Uh, and from that, he went to his, his uh, consultant and said, look, this is what I'm going to do. And the consultant was very progressive. He said, look, it can't hurt. Let's, let's give it a go. He, he was given two months to live. He bought another three bottles two weeks ago. Um, and also every time he goes back to see his, his, um, his, his, Jeep, sorry, his consultant, he's improving. He's getting better. And they're kind of like, what are you doing differently? And he's like, the only thing I'm doing is the CBD oil. Um, I had an, an elderly lady that was actually referred to me through um, an immuno immunologist I work with very closely, an absolutely amazing woman up in London. And she introduced me to this, uh, this lady in her 80s that I believe, if I remember rightly, she had um, leukemia or bone cancer. And again, she was, she was literally terminal. There was, no, there was no going back. She's, she's in remission. 
is in remission. And wow. the only thing she has changed, and the immunologist has come to me and said, look, I've tried everything. I've tried prebiotics, probiotics. I've tried all these different uh, methods that I would, would do to, to obviously get um, get her sort of her health back with regards to obviously diet, this sort of thing. She said, I've hit a brick wall with anything else. And I've been given your details. This is actually my first client with her. I've been given your details, see what you can do. And I spoke to her two weeks ago and she's like, she's in remission. That, that the doctors are like, I, I do not know what's going on. Now I'm not sitting here claiming that it's the CBD. The only thing I would say, it's the only thing that changed and it's very positive. The third example I'd like to give, this one actually was really weird because uh, I was thinking about it the other day and it, it brought a bit of a tear to my eye because it, it was somebody I grew up with as a child, a family friend. Um, and I had been told that last, I told last year in October that she'd been diagnosed with breast cancer um, early in the spring. And it was getting progressively worse and worse and worse. And she wasn't responding to any uh, of the chemotherapy. And basically when I spoke to her, she'd been given a date, uh, which was actually my birthday, weirdly enough, January the 18th to have her, her, sort of, um, her operation to have it removed. Uh, and basically, long story short, um, I went and did my consultation with her. She said, look, I'm, I've been taking CBD for the last six months. It has done nothing. I do not. And she showed me the bottle, very similar to the thing that you showed me the other day. And I said, look, just do me a favor. I won't charge you. I'm not going to charge you for the bottle. You're an old friend of mine. Just please do me a favor. Take this many drops at these times and see how it goes. And basically, I got a phone call on the 19th of January. She'd gone in on the 18th for her operation. And they couldn't find the lump. The only thing they found when they went in to do the operation was what they called a millimeter residual. And I mean, I just said to her, I said, look, hopefully it's the oil. I mean, it, I don't care if it's placebo. I don't care. But she was like, look, they've put me, they've had me on everything and nothing has worked. It's got bigger, 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 worse and worse. It was stage four, um, really, really nasty invasive cancer in, in, the, in the breast. It's gone from stage four to not present. In three months. What the? That's that you know that that sounds kind of science fiction, and and I'm, it's not that I'm, I'm questioning you. It's just that does does not sound like the the course of cancer, does it? I question it. I'm, I'm, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't hold it against doctors because they're not given this this uh, information. But I know more about this than than doctors do, just by default because I've I've learned it. And and to know I've, I've got literally three very uh, very sort of experienced um, uh, consultants out there scratching their head saying. What, what, how have you done this? And I feel sorry for them because they're not allowed to deviate at all from the yeah. path that they're taught. They're, and that's why you get a lot of, cons I mean, a lot of conservative doctors, they use the wrong approach. They'll just go, nope, uh, snake oil, dangerous for you. There's been links to liver damage. They'll say all these things that are unfounded um, and they'll put people off. Whereas you get other doctors that are a bit more progressive and they actually do want to save people's lives. And they'll say something along the lines of, I know nothing about it. I'm not trained in it, but I'm hearing good things or contact the complimentary medical association. There are people there that are trained in this. And so give it a go. And, and those doctors are worth, worth their weight in gold. And in America, what's actually happening with a lot of doctors, uh, a lot of caregivers and also patients as well, is they're saying that this new legal approach and, and the way that they're now able to open up this, this extra um, sort of avenue of, of potential treatments, it's just been a godsend for them. It's just it's like open the shackles because uh, the, the sort of, uh, the pharmaceutical approach doesn't always work. And it's just nice to have that alternative. Uh, I mean, there's other things like there's, there's mountains of, um, of research being carried out, but there's two or three sort of uh, completed studies into various chemotherapy drugs. And they actually become more effective uh, when you take CBD. So what CBD has been shown to do in multiple studies, and it, some of these are actually human studies as well. So this is, this, I can state this one. Uh, what they basically found is the CBD itself 
upped the uptake of the chemotherapy drug into the cancerous cells. Now, there's a lot of conjecture as to how it's happened. From the papers I've read, it looks like the cell protection that it gives to the healthy cells, what that basically allows it to do is it allows that unhealthy cell to be fully exposed to the CBD and in sorry, uh, to the radiation. And in turn, it takes more of that radiation that's going in and it becomes more ethical. Right. Okay. So actually enhances the, the sort of uh, the results of those certain chemotherapy drugs as well so just just on that kind of hypothesis is there is it there much in the way of research that is actually testing mechanisms versus looking at correlations and looking at hey we've done this and this happened um is, is the mechanisms being studied are we doing that level of science to really understand at cellular at a cellular level what's happening or yeah, so, again, is that research kind of pending, given more more funding? I'd say, the diff, the diff, I mean, there's definitely research being undertaken. I think, like I said, I think there's around about 15,000 live papers at the moment in the US. Um, and they're, they're at varying different stages as well. And, and, and as I say, if you go into these these various libraries, there's there's papers that cover pretty much everything. And the good thing about it is they will be very honest. It does start by saying if it's a controlled group, if it was in a test tube, so you can really gauge um, but it's just more, I think with the medicinal cannabis industry and, and, uh, the, the sort of GPs in there, it's more the excitement of the, the compounding sort of, uh, research that are all sort of backing up the same stuff. Um, now with regards to, um, sorry, the actual question with regards to the actual, um, the, the end, so it's the endocannabinoid system, you say, and it's, and it's role. Um, just more the mechanisms that are causing so these benefits to, to being, being observed, right? So whether it be cancer and remission, whether it be anxiety, whether it be faster recovery, whether it be, you know, reduction in inflammation, uh, have we been able to observe those at a mechanistic level from the papers that you, you've you read? Or do you think that kind of research still needs to be done? Uh, again, I would say what I'll say all the way through more research needs to be done. But yes, there is research into it. So there's research into um, so the way that uh, sort of cannabinoids uh, so, so the mechanism, so the mechanism, I will always bring back to the ECS because that is, it is, that is a control mechanism. It is a signaling mechanism. Uh, and that is the one that actually sort of uh, seems to be the one that controls these, these, these sort of abilities it has. But yeah, so going into um, sort of, uh, the, the, so arthritis as an example, they've, they've tested every single cannabinoid has shown to have uh, anti-inflammatory um, sort of properties for arthritis, which actually reduces the arthritic uh, inflammation reduces the associated pain and actually has shown a protection for further damage. Uh, the same thing with the, with the, the, um, the, the sort of the, the, the cancer side of things. So the cancer mechanism that they're sort of really focusing on is the anti-tumor activity of cannabinoids and CBD specifically, and also THC. So that's where they've been sort of measuring that. And obviously what they do with, with these is they, they, they see how those, uh, those, those conditions improve. Again, it's very difficult to give a, a clear answer to that because obviously every different um, sort of trial out there is in, in different sort of setups in different environments. Of course. No, no, I'm, I'm not asking you to go into detail. It was, just, it was more but, observationally if you're seeing that we're getting that level of kind of science and understanding of how it's working, not just that it's working. Yeah, so, so, so they do. So, but, I mean, obviously the ins and outs of how um, a cannabinoid and a receptor produces its therapeutic uh, sort of various therapeutic responses or actions. When I say therapeutic, it's, it's actions. It might not be a therapeutic action. It might just be saying, hang on a minute, wake up, there's, there's an issue over here. So, so, what, so that's the area they're looking at. I mean, 
how deep they've gone into what that mechanism looks like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that really is going into uh, the ins and outs of actually how the, uh, the specific um, sort of molecules actually are, are creating their therapeutic benefits. And obviously, where there's so many thousands of different, I mean, although there's only CB1 and CB2 receptors, obviously, in certain areas, they'll have different, different like I said to you just now, sometimes they're there to be excitatory and actually to, to, to sort of pick something up. In other areas, they're there to literally dumb it down. Uh, so with, with pain, uh, so so pain that there's there's two ways that it hits hits pain, and this is again very very well researched. A lot of a lot of research available on this, and I will give you some links as well of things that I think are quite good. But with regards to pain, it's two pronged. So if you had a headache and you took CBD, it doesn't work in that way. I mean, it might ease the headache because it's going to calm you, it's going to relax you, and it's going to take the uh, the sort of uh, the, the stress that comes with with a headache. But it doesn't work like a, a paracetamol would. It works um, at the source of a problem by, by actually um, stopping the pain coming on in the first place. And then the second prong is when you do get pain, uh, one of the, basically the thing that actually happens is your, your cannabinoids start sending signals to the brain to say, oh, I'm in pain here. I'm re- really in pain. And then what happens is basically cannabinoids have the ability, or your endocannabinoid system and its cannabinoids have the ability to then soften the pain signals to the brain. So what will happen is they'll get uh, released into the area where the injury has taken place. Obviously, they'll do their little um, sort of uh, project scope just to see what needs to be done. And what they'll do is they'll flood that area to cut the, the actual pain signals to the brain. So your brain's not receiving as many signals saying, I'm in pain. So basically what it deals, it deals with neurological pain and pain perception. Yes. Okay. Well, that, that that's, that's kind of taken us back right to the beginning of this conversation when I clumsily try to describe this idea of trying to turn down the noise neurologically and you've just described that that perceptive that perception of pain is being numbed or reduced by the endocannabinoid and endocannabinoids i guess docking onto the synapses and calming down that transmission of data in this case the transmission of data related to pain but as we think about cbd i know it's it linked to anxiety a lot or just being a bit more chilled out uh being able to, if you've got a stressy sales job maybe a little bit of cbd can just kind of calm you down and i've heard lots of people that have anxiety sure. or depressive like symptoms or just struggling with shitty jobs or just like just a hellish type of career cbd also. seems to kind of tone them down a little bit um, I'm guessing it's based on what we've just said. Is is that really what's driving it here? Is it, it is it's taking some of the signal away so we don't just over amplify the noise and you know kind of get ourselves all kind of wound up. It's, it's a good 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 point you've mentioned there. So again, another another part of of uh, what what I mean as as you've mentioned as well, and I think as a lot of people will know, there there isn't a shortage of of uh, research into. Uh, CBD and cannabis in general is overall sort of calming properties. We, we all know about that. Um, if you take um, the THC out of normal cannabis, you've still got all of the same benefits that you would with regards to its calming quality. So it's a, it's a very powerful, it's been, again, these are all things that are tested and it's been confirmed. It's a powerful anxiolytic, which means it's anti-anxiety. Uh, it's very good at sort of damming down stress um, and those sort of uh, sort of things. So like I said to you, when I first started taking it, it was like... Um, it was like I was in a, a busy pub and every single, uh, I couldn't hear anything. Every single person, there was a conversation that I needed to have. 
Mm-hmm. All I could hear was this massive noise. And when I took the CBD, I just found that the noise, background noise went down and I was able to sort of deal with each conversation, which was obviously my to-do list or whatever, being very productive. Love so that. it tends to make you very, very productive as well. But what, from when I had very little experience, and again, my mind's quite analytical and I kind of uh, had this, this theory, which I've since spoken to people about, and it does seem to be true. Um, there's not only the benefits that the endocannabinoid has directly and indirectly with receptors, there's also the knock-on effect um, just in general. So if, you can cu- if you're somebody that's always anxious and you've got high anxiety, your heart rate's going to be high, your blood pressure's going to be high, it's going to be putting yeah. stress on everything in your body. So th- there's going to be a knock-on effect of so many different things. If you can just dumb that down, that, that one little bit of anxiety down, calm your heart rate down, become a bit calmer as a person, you know, it's going to have many sort of knock-on effects that are positive. Um, and that's where, where, where a lot of people... Although there's a lot of receptors um, sort of based in the heart, uh, and that's probably the area where the endocannabinoid system has a very positive influence, by reducing that heart rate and actually bringing that heart rate down, obviously that's going to have a very, very large um, benefit with regards to potential heart disease or heart attacks. So there's also the, the, the knock-on effects of benefits in other areas that are, are obviously going to indirectly uh, positively impact. Oh, uh, you're, and you're bang on, right? Because they, they always, you know, mindset is such a massive thing these days. Mindfulness, meditation, just generally trying to disconnect from the obscene amount of information and noise and stress and social media and yada, yada, yada. And so, you know, you'll get yourself a mindfulness app or you'll try to experience some level of mindfulness or meditation. And we know if you do it well, you become calmer. And in becoming calmer, as you say, you're a little less stressed out. You feel your heart's pounding a little less strong. It, you just feel that your body's in a better, more relaxed state. So we know there's strong linkage between whether you've got a busy, stressed out mind and the yeah. general health of your body. And if CBD allows your brain to chill out, I guess there's less signal going everywhere else to become excited and stressed. 100%. And there's also the link with, I mean, the gut-brain thing that I'm doing is obviously there's a lot of focus on this, but... I don't think people realize just how much inflammation um, is involved in the majority of conditions that we have, whether it be a precursor, a start, or, or, or the actual gen- genuine uh, reason why you're having a health issue. Inflammation is massive. And, and the fact is, is there's, there's very, very little people out there um, sort of denying it's a very, very effective anti-inflammatory at biological level. Uh, they believe it's around about two to three times stronger than hydrocortisone, which is obviously what you get injected uh, if you go into a hospital yeah. which is the strongest they've got so on that side uh, i mean there's very little pushback on the research because there's so much of it but if you can then start dealing with uh, gut inflammation which is is the start of a lot of problems or or inflammation around the body then obviously you the knock-on effects for that they're not going to lead to the next problems interesting um, think things like arthritis i mention it a lot because uh, rheumatoid and osteo are so different that CBD and the endocannabinoid system, again, backed up with your actual research, can affect both of them. So it will affect rheumatoid arthritis by, by suppressing uh, the immune system because that's, that's how it works. It reduces that, that, um, that sort of reaction. Whereas with osteoarthritis, it's obviously it's in the bones and it's, it's very good for, for osteoarthritis. Um, and, and obviously on, on the pain side of things, it reduces the inflammation. So there's just so many areas where by dealing with the issue, so a lot of people suffer with sleep they get anxiety or they because they know they're gonna oh, i'm not gonna sleep again tonight so they've got anxiety as a result of it so there's all these things that make that problem 10 times worse yeah still one of the issues and you can find that sort of so many issues uh, alleviate too and and we are living in a 
in a world which is just incredibly stimulating for our brain right now. So maybe this is a necessary antidote. Um, what about Parkinson's? Because uh, that video you sent me, and to be clear, I've not gone about doing loads of research ahead of this call, but that video you sent me led with a woman who was basically, um, you know, taking pills up to the eyeballs of um, things to try and suppress or, or manage her, her shake, her Parkinson's uh, uncontrollable tremors. And um, it seemed, again, a bit science fiction, but within 20 minutes of taking some CBD oil or kind of spread on a cracker, she was so much calmer. She could talk clearly and her body just wasn't trembling. Have you have you kind of looked into the research or have you had any clients that you've seen a, a positive effect of CBD yeah. on Parkinson's? With, with regards to Parkinson's, I, I, I put, uh, and, and I know it's a different disease, but I always put Alzheimer's in the same sort of area because they are, um, number one, they're, they're devastating. Number two, they're obviously, obviously illnesses of the mind. Uh, and obviously, they're, they're very hard to treat as well. And I've, I've kind of covered a lot. But on the Parkinson's side, uh, I mean, we all know, I mean, especially people of our age group, Michael J. Fox, that was, uh, that was obviously uh, struck down by it in yeah. the 90s. And, and he, I mean, the first thing I did when I started getting into CBD, I had somebody contact me and ask me the same question. And, and I found myself on the Michael J. Fox Foundation page. Uh, okay. And he, his, his foundation since the 90s, um, sort of completely separate to the government's, has been on a rampage just to really look into cannabinoids in general and CBD being a massive proponent. And, and what they tend to, to, to put it across is not, not the cure. Um, in any way, shape, or form, but it certainly makes uh, living with the uh, the disease a lot better. There is obviously quite a lot of research coming out to show that uh, it has abilities to slow. Uh, obviously, the, the jury's out with regards to once somebody has something, how effective it can be. It'll probably be more than anything. It'll be a uh, a management tool, a maintenance tool. Uh, but then there's a lot of uh, research going into to sort of families, etc., that 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 have it in the family um, and people taking it as a preventative. So uh, I come back to the Alzheimer's side as well. So with Alzheimer's, um, so the immune system, that's when I said it, it stimulates the immune system. So what happens in Alzheimer's, you get uh, this, this thing called amyloid plaque buildup. Um, so you can get amyloidosis anywhere in the body. You can get it in the heart. It's, it's really, really bad. But amyloid protein buildup, so it's basically it's a, it's a plaque. And that builds up on the neurons um, below your brain that, and, and basically just gets in the way of signals making their way to your body. Um, that again, very basic, uh, sort of explanation. It's a lot more in, 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 sort of depth than that, but obviously that gives you an idea. Um, and the immune system, when, when the C, uh, when the cannabinoid system is working correctly, and also when it's stimulated with good, uh, cannabinoids has been shown to, um, actually, um, not suppress actually to, to, to actually activate the, the ECS to, to actually provide what we call microphages and um, microphages, basically what they are, they're all over the body. And they are sort of like, it's when, when blood comes through and, and takes uh, all of it, it. Let's say, for instance, you had a car accident. It's the person that turns up and takes all the bits away, yeah. uh, takes the car away and cleans the accident up. You know, it's, it's, that's what they do. And, and that's been linked to it. And those microphages are actually what clear away those protein buildups. So whether it's, it's going to be enough to, to help people that already have it and, and reverse it, I, I mean, I wouldn't even be able to start thinking about that. I don't even know if they're in, into that sort of research, but there's definitely a lot of research to show that it, it's very good for maintenance of those, uh, those issues and, and in some cases stopping them getting any worse. This has been so fascinating, man. Um, I've got loads more questions to ask you. We'll, we'll probably try and hit them a little quicker just, be, 
just because we're we're an hour and 30 minutes in or so, but I want to make sure we cover them. So um, I think we've kind of got the answer, uh, answer to this one, but observed side effects. So you've said there's a couple of, couple of trials that suggested or um, alluded to maybe some kind of liver issue, but sure. is there any kind of anecdotal or observable side effects that if you either take too much or you come to the too dependent that you could become addicted that you know coming off it could be a, you know, a downer just like any other drug like talk to me about i guess addiction and side effects Can, what should people be aware of because i'm guessing it can't can't be the miracle miracle thing without any potential downside i think with anything i mean if it goes without saying I mean, I, I, there's there's nothing to confirm this yet obviously there's the 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 uh, the two animal trials that I cited to you earlier, which one showed that if you were to intravenously um, sort of take CBD, you're probably going to get liver uh, issues, which I'm, I'm pretty sure is the case with a lot of things you'd be taking. Uh, and the other one where it was more dose specific, although those doses, again, in my experience, and I'm not saying that everybody out there that sells CBD has this experience, but I would never be recommending someone take that sort of level. Um, the other side of it is at the moment, I'm not aware of anybody at all that's been taking CBD that has had any adverse problems with livers. And I'm certainly not aware of it with any of my clients. And, and I'm in a, a bit of a blessed scenario. I say blessed, it's not blessed because they're, they're in, in very, very sort of bad um, health uh, sort of positions in their life. But I'm in a very blessed uh, position where these people are regularly having their livers checked, their bloods checked um, because of obviously the, the, the sort of illnesses they're suffering from. And none of them, um, even in the higher um, sort of uh, sort of uh, sort of doses that I'm actually recommending, have had any negative feedback. But again, that's anecdotal. Um, but the anecdotal side of things that covers quite a few million users, there's not been one report of anybody having any adverse effects on the liver side of things. But it's definitely something that needs to be looked at. And I would say it probably would be dose specific. So if you've got some Wally that goes and drinks a bottle every day. First and foremost, I wouldn't recommend it because drinking a bottle of oil is never going to be nice. Um, but secondly, there is going to be the chance that uh, that could because it metabolizes in the liver. So it metabolizes on a specific enzyme called uh, CY, uh, CYP450. Um, and that is basically, um, obviously, if you put too much of anything into your liver, then it's, there's, there's a chance you're going to poison it. So I wouldn't yeah. recommend anyone do that. But again, we need to look at that. And we need to keep an eye on, on that most certainly. The, the other side effects that are commonly, I say commonly, they're not common, but the other side effects that are, are possible uh, that have been reported, um, one would be anxiety, which is funny because people oh, really? take Yeah, and the other one is diarrhea. Now, nine times out of 10, that will be dose-related. So they're either taking too much too soon, um, they've gone in a little bit too much. So with anxiety, actually quite often less is more. So it's not one of these things where you need to do a whole dropper. Quite often with anxiety, you're better off doing one or two drops. I mean, everyone's different and they need to find their dose, but with anxiety, you normally tend to find less is more with CBD. Um, so I would normally say if somebody's getting anxious, I would say, look, rein it in a bit and build yourself up to where you want to be. Like I said to you, build it up slowly. Um, and the diarrhea thing can be one of two things. Either you're suffering from an underlying issue or you've had a bad diet or you're, it's clearing, clearing you out without, without it wanting to, to be rude. Or again, you're taking too much too soon. Nine times out of 10, if someone gets that, I tell them to re reverse how much they're having, bring it back down and build it back up. And that normally goes. Um, but there, other than that, there aren't really any linked side effects to it. It's non-habit forming. 
it, uh, you don't build up um, a, a sort of a, um, a, an immunity to it, or you don't need. So it's not something where you get used to it and you need to take more. It you doesn't don't think work. we become more tolerant to it, and that's why people need to up the dosage. Not no. So so a hundred percent not. I mean, it's been proven. It's been proven that it's not something that will affect you in any different way by upping your dose. Now it may be that your lifestyle changes and you start suffering from something different, and and you may want to play about with that dose. It may be you put your dose down. Once you get on top of an issue, I mean, sometimes it can be a really quick thing. Sometimes it can take a lot longer. But once you get on top of um, a, a sort of an issue, sometimes quite regularly, I did. I reduced mine. I started on, I was five a day, twice a day, uh, up until about 12 months ago. And that got on top of the pay, pelvis pain. That meant I could go out for a run. And the next day, I wouldn't be on my back. I could actually go out for a run every single day. And then it got to a point where I was like, I'm actually starting to feel... I don't need so much. So I reduced my amount uh, down to five a day. And, and, and a lot of people do that. But yes, yeah, so it's non-habit forming. Uh, and in fact, actually, there's a lot. Uh, and, and again, this is another area of, of major research, which seems to be giving uh, massively, massively positive uh, sort of feedback is, is addiction. So they're actually using it uh, to get people off heroin. They're using it to get people uh, off of cigarettes. And the, 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 the trail of thought there is, if you think about that, they're, they're sort of very... Um, they're very destructive uh, sort of habits, and we know that they're bad for us. So they're normally in some way um, linked to anxious behavior or anxiety of some sort. Or So if you can deal with the reason that these people are sort of self-medicating or dumbing themselves down, uh, which a lot of the time is is by, by calming them down, there's been some very, very sort of uh, positive um, research into that side of things to stop people. Uh, as I say, being addicted to these these negative things. So, and that's but, an error. But, but instead, we we become, and I'm being facetious here, being a little bit um, playful. But instead, we become um, addictive to another substance, albeit it's more bene- benevolent and uh, uh, more promote health promoting. But surely, um, there's got to be some addictive properties to this because if if someone's taking it for managing a stressful life and it just tones them down a little bit. Um, surely when you dial that back and you try and pull this pull this out of your lifestyle and your lifestyle is still relatively stressy, you'll feel it. And then if you feel it, surely you're going to want to keep taking it, which in, you know, it helps people that sell CBD oil that you have a constant customer, but is it, is it addictive or, you know, I'm just uh, trying to kind of work, square so that one away. And unfortunately, I mean, a lot, a lot of the time people go, I've forgotten to take it for a few days. And, 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 and I've actually had a few people say to me, say, do you know what? I hadn't taken it for a few days. And I was like, I'm starting to either get a migraine or, or starting to feel a little bit sort of stressed out. And then that's what they notice. So it's actually the other way around. It's, it's not addictive in the fact that you crave it. It's not addictive in the fact that you need it. It's addictive in the fact that if you are suffering from issues that it's helping, uh, and those issues aren't going away because you're not so. So with anything, and and this is with anything, and any, anything that you're going to take in life, whether it be natural or pharmaceutical, there's a, an an issue that needs to be dealt with. You need to deal with the issue. So quite often with CBD, when you're talking about pain, inflammation, those side of things, the CBD is kind of dealing with it for you. Um, the other side of things with regards to yeah, your behaviour and your external environments, if you're continuing so. If you're continuing to have that stressful uh, thing in your life, you might be able to manage it better. You're still going to be in an elevated uh, area of stress. So if you because then you take, have a stressful life, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then if you take the CBD out of it, then the, those stresses are still going to be there because the stress is still there. Um, what this will allow you to do is, if the stresses are there and they're not going anywhere, it will make it will help you to manage it better. So in a way, I suppose it would be addictive to the point where you're going to want to be feeling better all the time. But it's not addiction as in craving for it and using it to to dumb dumb down the sort of uh, 
the horrible environments like you are with alcohol. With alcohol, you're trying to escape. You're trying to get to a different sort of mindset. I would, so, I, I would also say, but with weed as well, right? Because I know people that are absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent addicted to weed. Like, like they can't go on holiday without a stash. And <laughs> if they go on holiday and they can't, you know, either bring some with them, which is you know risky in its own right, or they can't find someone who can holiday. hook them up. <laughs> then they're fucking awful for a week. Yeah. They are. So, and, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm very close members of my family that there's no way, there's no way in a million years they're giving up their weed. Never, never. And they've also said to me that, you know what, I can have like the best intentions. Now, this is not everyone in all fairness. I know people that are entrepreneurial and smoke weed. So let's be clear. This is, a note, this is not me trying to generalize, but I also know people that are smart, intelligent, capable. They have loads of ideas. They get home, open up in a little box, roll himself up a spliff and then before they know it they just can't be asked yeah, and it yeah, kind of yeah. takes the energy the enthusiasm the impetus away from their kind of good intentions so I, but that's thc right that's what's driving a lot of that behavior isn't it yeah, thc is driving that. And, and again with thc you are you are you are um you're you're a psychoactive effect there so you're smoking it and you're actually getting stoned so you are there's an element of dumbing down that pain as opposed to numbing the pain and, and dealing with the problem. So, so with CBD, a lot of the time, as I said to you just now, it will actually be dealing with the core problem in your biological level sometimes. It'll actually be dealing with the problem as well as obviously making you feel better. Um, but it's not going to deal with, it's, it's not magic. It's not going to deal with um, personality issues. It's not going to deal with things that are fueling those issues. So um, the, the, the difference between THC and CBD is CBD isn't actually changing your mindset to, to dumb something down. It's actually trying to deal with the issues that, that, that are creating that sort of cascade of, of stresses and, and uh, um, negative environmental uh, stresses. Um, but yeah, again, you, you, you've got to, I mean, like I said to you the other day, it's very good at promoting sleep, but you've got to take yourself to bed. <laughs> it's a sleeping Damn. tablet. You know, sort of waking, <laughs> and, oh my God, I fell asleep where I was sat. It's not, that's not the way it works. Yeah. It, it's car it, again. It's, there's so many different areas where it helps, or is, is supposedly helps sleep from from calming you down. So if you do struggle to sleep, it's taking away that sort of sleep anxiety you might have. Uh, but there's a number of of areas. But like I say, you've still got to get yourself to bed. Um, the other stuff I mean, that, that I said to you the other day, which is why I recommend and which is why I've, I, I say to anybody that I love and and I surround myself with to take it is is the sort of uh, the anti-tumor sort of activities and the things that it does in the background, which we will never know. Preventative that we, we almost. Get. So, so, I mean, uh, like you said, is it, is it just a lifestyle thing? Well, maybe I'm, I don't need it because I'm healthy and I do this. And I'm like, okay, in your position, you're, you're, you're in a great position. You're in the same position I am now because my, my, my pain's gone, is I'm taking it because I want it to be doing all the things that we're being told it does in the background. Yeah. Uh, and at the moment, as I say, the more research I'm, I read, and there needs to be more. I'm not one of these people that sits there and says it cures everything, and I'm, I'm not willing to listen. I'm happy for them to provide me with negative research papers uh, that tell me to stop saying what I'm saying. However, nothing really out there in any volume is, 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 uh, is telling us that. And as I say, we have got 10,000 years worth of experience with this now. I know it's only been in tinctures since the 30s, but since 1930, not one reported death of uh, of liver damage through CBD oil. You know, I mean, there must there must be somebody out there, or there must be a report of somebody that's uh, been taking it for cancer, and they've gone to their doctor, and their doctor has said, like, your your liver, uh, you've got liver poisoning. I don't know. It's not happened. So that's yeah. the only thing that's negative that is out there. And and again, all of it needs to be verified. But um, at the end of the day 
through all the thousands and thousands of people on the forums, there's not, not any reports of anyone suffering those negatives. But I again, guess, like, like uh, anything. I, I guess, I guess the, the place this kind of falls into, though, is we all know that it's cures that people want, right? So people don't invest heavily, typically, in preventative activities before they have a problem, right? You don't, you don't see people like really nailing their, their you know, health fitness and uh, nutrition and, you know, taking supplements whilst there is no problem. It's typically there's a trigger event. Either you get yeah. very ill or, you know, you notice a decline in your health and enough's enough and you decide to take action. So the problem you've got is if you are healthy and there's, you know, a whole stream of benefits that come from CBD that but are preventative in nature that are really trying to optimize your wellness, uh, but you're not going to necessarily see the optimization because this is preventative. This is prophylactic. It'd be like, well, it's a lot of money for a bottle. I don't need that. I don't see the problem. I'll deal with a problem when I have it, right? So I think that's issue one. And I know I fall into that, Nikki, is that that's kind of like get gets in my way a little bit. Issue two um, is if if someone is procuring this because they, oh, no, it's not an issue. I'd say a, a big use case for this is people do have a problem. They have something that they're trying to deal with. Some of the ailments you've described today uh, and then men, and then thirdly, it's the mental side, right? So if someone is going, I need a way to calm down, I've heard CBD helps me do that, I'll go buy it. But I think unless you are in those, that camp of, one, I want to optimize my health, two, yeah. I have issues that I'm trying to drill, uh, address, which you know are, are manifesting, whether it be cancer, whether it be arthritis, whether it be one of the other things we spoke about, or three, I'm a bit stressy and I could do with something that calms me down. If you yeah. don't, fit that profile, one or, or many of those profiles, I guess um, the motivation is is weaker, isn't it? You've got to want to invest in yourself and two, you've got to see that there's a problem that you think you might want to address. Definitely. I think that's the case with anything, really. I mean, no one really goes and seeks out stuff to take just in case. I think, And I think that's the case with anything. But coming back to what you were saying just now about people that are optimizing their health, I mean, quite a few um, things that I've watched recently. And actually one of the podcasts, the podcast you said, uh, sent over also mentioned one of it on there. Uh, they were mentioning one of the benefits of CBD and, they, and he went, well, I take 5-HTP for that. Uh, and this benefit, I take this. And, and, and he went through about five or six things he took. And I was mm. like, well, you're not noticing the issue here. You've, you, you could spend 130 pounds because you need to be doing that on a decent bottle, by the way. You could spend 130 to 150 pounds on a decent bottle of something that's going to do all of those six things and it's going to last you about six months. So again, you are totally right. If there's somebody out there that doesn't see that they've got a problem or there's not somebody that wants to sort of uh, put themselves, uh, again, they want to be sort of living their, their sort of uh, their healthiest life and they're not interested in the supplements anyway, then, then, then obviously that is the case. And they will be the people that unfortunately will, um, fortunately or unfortunately, fortunately, if they get through life and they don't need it, or they will come to you when they do need it and they've got issues. And, and like I say, then, then it gets a bit stickier. Um, I mean, obviously, we've seen from my experiences that uh, there's obviously a potential that if you get cancer, that it will help you to to get over it. Um, but uh, uh, like I said, with Alzheimer's, is it something that will just help you, or is it something that's going to prevent it coming on? So again, look at look at your family history. I mean, that's what I would say. I mean, I've, I've looked at my family history uh, from both my mother's and father's side, and, and seen that there are certain things that, uh, in fact, there's, there's reoccurring things that I know that this helps. So from my point of view, I'm like, well, I'll take it just to make sure that I don't fall foul of the uh, uh, 
uh, of, of what my families have been ill, Ill with. But again, there, there'll be people out there that aren't, aren't going to be doing that. But what, 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 what are you, what are your reasons for taking it now? So you started with pain. You, you now, you know, you now dial in that back because you know the pain is now being controlled or, or no longer present. Pain's what are your reasons? It, the pain's controlled. It's still there, though. I mean, the, the okay. pain is so, so it helps me focus. Uh, it does help me get a good night's sleep. Uh, and as I say, all the research that I'm reading with regards to what I personally, from the research I've read, think it does do, and I think it will be confirmed once we get the the larger scale. Um, sort of uh, results. I mean, we, we are getting that at the moment, by the way. There are there are sort of large human placebo trials into a number of the areas that we're talking about that are confirming the the, the preclinical trials as well. So it just needs to be expanded, it needs to be expanded into more areas. So, um, okay. but yeah, from my, from my point of view, I'm taking it because it definitely helps me um, on that side of things. Now, I didn't realize when I left the business that I was working and I decided to set this up. I mean, I've been working for that business for 18 years. It was a very stressful job. And for the last eight years, I was very mindful that I was a square peg in a round hole. And I was in that situation where I'm sitting there thinking, what can I do? What can I do? What else can I do? And I was, I was, I was suffering from unknown anxiety myself. So as soon as I, I left that job, I, I actually got quite stressed and, and actually had some panic attacks and ended up with something called gastroenteritis. Um, looked into it. That's all stress related. So um, I, I took it for that and it definitely, definitely helped numb all of that down. Now, I don't think I'm in that same headspace um, with regards to the stress and, and anxiety. However, I don't know if I'm not in that headspace because I'm taking it every day and it keeps, <laughs> keeps I don't know. But that, also, there's the other side of it. it. It doesn't hurt me to be taking it. And, yeah. and I'd say I'm pretty confident on an, a, at least a number of the things that are claimed. Um, and I think more will come out. But we'll see that, as, as, as I say, as, as this research starts coming out. There are people putting their hands in their pockets in the U.S., um, and they're taking the bull by the horns, and, and we're seeing a lot of positive stuff on, on a daily basis. I mean, just recently, they've discovered on the uh, endocannabinoid systems uh, side of things, uh, and in fact, actually, I think I've told you this already, that, uh, that obviously they've always thought the brain was the boss, that the brain uh, sort of set everything in motion with regards to our body. There's a problem the brain tells you to do something. That's not the case. The endocannabinoid system tells the brain. So the endocannabinoid system is the boss. And these are all things that are coming out from from the the, the sort of uh, in depth testing that's being done, and, and it's only going to continue. I mean, it's compounding. In, in, in the two years that I've been doing it since I bought that research book, that research book is so out of date, but it's still great. That's amazing, man. And and that doesn't it isn't too difficult to grasp that the idea that the gut and the endocannabinoid system are informing the brain how the brain should respond and then what chemicals then kind of flow thereafter because we do know that there's a gut gut brain you know connection um of the vagal nerve and we do know that that travels both ways it isn't just one way it's not this master controller in your head that just decides because <laughs> for everything to happen actually it's receiving signals from the body and through those signals it's then going okay how do we respond to that signal and um what you've just said is saying that the ECS system is that signal to the brain. That, 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 that isn't too hard to grasp when you think about the necessity for your brain to be surveying your body for damage or issues or things that need to be dealt with. So that was great. Listen, we want to, I want to close on, on really just making this practical now. So we've, we've had the most fascinating conversation. You have done a fantastic job, Nikki, of <laughs> dealing with my curiosity and walking through the science in 
uh, without being dramatic about it, without trying to overplay this. So you've done a fantastic job. Um, now people are hopefully curious. They might think, actually, do you know what? I might want to give this a go. Um, my own personal experience, as you as we've spoken about, was not particularly interesting. Probably didn't buy the right product. Wasn't the right quality. Wasn't doing it for the right uh, time. Um, maybe wasn't trying to observe things. I was looking for things that weren't there. So for whatever reason, my first attempt didn't work. Sure. Um, my second attempt, which has only been 10 days in the making, I must admit, there is something. I'm feeling something. Um, I'm, I, I sense I'm feeling that, that, um, just a, that idea that you just said around like a busy pub. <laughs> and you're here you're, you're able to kind of zone in and focus just a little bit more a little bit of the noise is starting to dissipate i feel that i'm feeling that to a degree but on top of that i know i'm i'm a fairly optimized individual so i'm i've decided to stop trying to look for all the things that i'll i'll find because if there are things that are preventing or supporting my anti-cancer lifestyle i won't necessarily feel that my sleep is starting to inch up in the right direction, but I need more time with this to see if that is going to be a true benefit. Because if it is, that that in its own right will be the clincher for me because my sleep is so important, yet it can be a bit disturbed. But Sorry. Go on, go on. So what you'll find, and anybody else out there that's finding it as well, is first and foremost is your first experience is, is, is something that everybody sort of uh, – um, sort of experiences I did too in the first two years. Uh, you, you buy something, you think it's great, the, the site says it's this, that, and the other, and it's not quite what it should be, or you're having to drink mountains of it to, to get any response. The issue is also is even a good uh, CBD, or uh, so I keep saying CBD. So one thing I didn't cover on this, but you'll really want to quickly cover all research that's taken undertaken by sort of official means is on CBD. Now, the way that cannabinoids work, they work better in unison, something called the entourage effect um, via a full spectrum oil. And that basically means that an oil that has all of those 113 cannabinoids that are found in the hemp plant in, in some level. Now, obviously, they're, they're higher in CBD as standard because they're right. rich plants. And what happens is basically CBD on its own is very good. CBG on its own is very good. THC is very good on its own. When you put them together, this entourage effect basically just supercharges them all. Uh, and their specific therapeutic effects become more um, more in, intense. And that is also something that's been measurable in, in some of the tests as well and some of the, the research that, that's been undertaken. So the entourage effect is the way that we would, we would, we would go on that side of things anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, again, with regards to that, I, I think with, with CBD, it is subtle by nature. Um, so a full spectrum oil is subtle by nature. Um, and what I've had, I think I gave you the, uh, I don't know if it was yourself. I spoke to someone quite recently and my, my best ever, um, testimonial, which I unfortunately lost because Facebook, uh, unpublished my page early on, they were having a, a bit of a problem with CBD back right. in, in 1819 and they caused us a lot of problems. But there was a, 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 a testimonial on there that somebody started taking it for pain and, um, and, uh, sort of workout relief. Um, and I don't know, it wasn't actually one of my members uh, of my team, but uh, basically, I don't know who recommended they take the drops. I mean, I would have said, look, get the drops uh, from an ongoing basis, uh, but also get one of the creams, which is topical. You can put it straight onto your aching shoulder. That will work very well. But they hadn't done that anyway. So basically what he did is he sent it back and said, absolute crap after three weeks, absolute crap, didn't work, hasn't done, hasn't done its job. Two weeks later, we get um, uh, contacted by him, him, him saying, look, 
I wasn't noticing that it was working on my pain. However, I didn't realize how stressed and how anxious I was because instantly my sleep's gone. Um, I, I literally feel like I've got this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach at all times. And I just didn't realize I had that before. And because it's very subtle and because you're taking the oil, that is a very gradual process. It builds up in your system until it gets into a point where you're, you've got a good level in your system. And that can take a long time. And certain ailments take longer than others to, to deal with. Some are a bit more embedded than others. And every human is different as well. So I always say to anybody, look, give it at least a bottle's worth of, of your time. Uh, and then what you'll tend to find is even if you can't feel the difference on that day, the difference from day one to day two is almost immeasurable. The difference between day one and day 60 is massive and you won't notice it until you stop taking it sometimes. Cheers. Because it's the absence of things rather than the feeling of something. It's not like you smoke a joint and you get high or it produces a feeling. It actually takes away feelings. So it takes away anxiety. It takes away that um, sort of busy mind. It takes away these things. And and that's very hard to quantify and to measure. Of course it is. Um, I mean, I even had things like I was taking it, like I said, for pain and for a bit of anxiety. And it wasn't until um, October last year, my wife said to me, she went, you haven't had acid reflux for about a year. And I looked back and I hadn't had acid reflux since I'd actually had my hospital um, sort of admission. And that was when I started taking CBD. I looked into it and because there's such a high concentration of, uh, of receptors in the gut, it stops the overproduction of, of uh, the acids that lead to um, obviously the leakages in your stomach, which then lead to uh, acid reflux. Wow. Wow. So if, if, I was even aware of. <laughs> if someone wants to, right, so if someone wants to pick pick up a bottle and yeah. they want to work out how to start engaging with CBD, right, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll reference how to engage, uh, get in touch with you in sure. a moment, but say they just wanted to kind of do their own research, what are they looking for in terms of strength, uh, what are they looking for on the bottle, what are they looking for in terms of the marketing spiel, and then once they do pick up a bottle of CBD oil, uh, what's your recommended protocol in, in terms of how to engage and administer it? Okay, so, well, with regards to when you're purchasing oil, so this was where, I, again, I found myself early on, and which this is, this is the information I would have killed for too early, too, two years earlier. Um, so basically what you need to be doing is you need to be looking at things like uh, the extraction methods used to extract the, the actual oil from the plant. Um, basically, uh, and some people aren't going to like me for saying this, but steer clear of anything that, uh, uh, that's fuel-based, so propane, butane, methane, anything along those lines isn't the greatest extraction process. I would always recommend... How would any- you know that? Um, you can tell because it would be like a tar. It'll be like almost tarry and it will smell like that as well. And, and they have to tell you. So, so again, that will, that will, that will come in, in this, this bit of advice anyway. Um, so, so basically try and go for a company that uses CO2 extraction methods and crystal precipitation. It's clean. It, uh, it uh, extracts more than any other. And it's, it's just the highest quality that you, you will find. Uh, that's not a personal opinion. That is basically it's, it's pharmaceutical sort of process. Um, you also need to be looking at, uh, obviously, the, uh, the, the sort of manufacturing process that's, that's put in place. Make sure it's non-GMO. Uh, you don't want GMO. Um, pesticide-free because hemp is, is, uh, is it's, it's basically pest-resistant on its own. It doesn't need pesticides. Um, also, organic would be nice, vegan. And you always want to make sure it's a company that, as standard, provides you with a third-party lab test result now. Uh, when I mean that, it needs to be specific to your product. Now, what I'm finding at the moment and what I found over the last two years is a lot of companies that have a generalized certificate of authenticity, and that basically covers their CBD. 
what you need is you need it specific to your to your product. So if you have a look at the bottle that I I sent to you, I've got it in front uh, of me now. So have a look. There's a QR code on there. Yeah. And that if you can if you've got a QR scanner, you can scan the QR code and it takes you directly to a third party neutral website called Verify Hemp. And what that does is that tells you the specific batch results for that exact bottle and the batch that it came from. So it's not a one-time, I'm certifying your company. It's a, I'm certifying every batch you produce type Look of Look at the gig. bottom of your bottle as well. You'll see a date and a lot number. Mm, where should I be looking for that? At the bottom of the bottle. Right at the bottom. Oh, underneath. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And basically what happened is on that Verify Hemp page, that's the information that will come up. So Got you'll be it. able to... That's exactly the batch. Now, don't get me wrong, the batches are very large. They don't make it bottle by bottle. They make it in vats. But um, yeah, it'll be the batch that's specific to that product and that bottle that you have. And, and that's very important. Um, also, what a lot of people do as well is they take the certificate from the company they got their bulk buy from. Um, I didn't go with a bulk company. The, the, the quality's not out there. There's not a company out there at the moment that are doing quality CBD oil on a white label basis where you can brand it yourself. Um, as I say, they all tend to be the same sort of standard that, uh, of the stuff that you had, uh, where, as I say, and that's when you're going down the route of having to take 20 to 40 drops a day. Uh, with mine, as I say, most of my clients come back every four to six months. Um, so it is 150 pound a bottle for that particular one that I recommend to people. Uh, but as I say, they purchase it and, and I'll be very lucky if they come back within four months uh, to, to buy their next bottle. So it's also very... Uh, economical as well if you get the right CBD. So they, they, they come in strengths, don't they? They um, I don't know. How, how do you define CBD strengths? So this is this is another thing. So with regards to strengths, there's people out there, I mean, specifically about 12 months ago, even more so, there was people coming out with 5,000 milligrams, 10,000 milligrams, all this kind of stuff. You don't need something that strong. Uh, the reason you, that they're doing them that, that strong is because their delivery methods don't get that oil into your system. So because it's oil in your water, uh, it's basically called bioavailability. The average of a CBD oil that gets into your system is between 7 and 12%. So when you take a CBD oil, you get around between 7 and 12% of that gets to your system. So the reason I stuck with this company is they they basically fell in roses, to be quite honest. Uh, they found this thing called um, 10X Pure. Now, this is a, a company, is a, a, a company, and their whole sort of thing was to get um, vitamins, actually, more bioavailable. They come up with this process, which has been used on this, and, and the company have actually bought them. Unfortunately, so you can't even can't even approach them. But what they do is um, is they supercharge the hemp oil. So the the hemp oil, not the CBD oil, so which is the carrier oil. They supercharge that with oxygen. So they oxygenate it rather than heat it. And what they found in all of their tests and 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 all of the they've done a number of scientific endeavors is that in effect acts like a like a capsule for the CBD. So when you're taking it, it protects it. It's water, it's water it interacts with water and basically allows those cannabinoids to get to the spots. So they've worked out at the moment it's between 50 and 60%. Uh, upwards of 70% of the actual CBD makes its way to the spot. So that's why you're having to take less. So, but I wouldn't recommend, with regards to strengths, people need to be sticking to 500 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams, 1,500 milligrams. Anything stronger, number one, I don't really feel that it's, it's worthwhile. I think it's literally just putting stuff on on there just to try and sell it. And, and again, I think it's more about finding that the oil that actually gets to the spot rather than going for these super high sort of percentages because it's just a waste. Um, but they, they also talk about, um, you're talking about milligrams. I don't know if I'm getting my... Um, just, is, is there another measurement 
of strength. Uh, so, so milligrams is the is is how it should be measured. You've got a lot of companies out there for some reason. I don't know why they use percentages. Yeah, it doesn't work out. Uh, and and one thing that that. Uh, the, even the initial Frank Cole book that I used. And, and again, it's not necessarily uh, the case now because obviously a lot of people have just followed suit with what other people are doing. So, But he, he actually said steer clear of people that use percentages because it's, uh, it's very hard to work out a percentage of, of something like CBD. Now, I, I get, don't get me wrong, you can say it's a, uh, you can do a crude sort of mathematical approach, but you need to know the milligrams that are in those bottles. Um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend anybody go uh, with a company that uses percentages uh, and, unless they can actually say that percentage is X milligrams. Okay. Uh, more than anything, I think it's more a case of going after a good quality CBD oil that's got very good um, sort of uh, third-party lab tests. I mean, the reason that I've stuck with this one as well is also the only business out there. And, and in fact, not even the only business, they're the only people that have managed to um, stabilize uh, CBDA. And so I don't want to divert because again we're, we're we're quite quite far down the line. But basically, CBDA is is CBD in its raw form. So when if you went and got a hemp plant fresh and you pulsed it and made a, a smoothie out of it, you'd get CBDA, which is it's it's in its acid form and it's extremely extremely potent. It's very good at what it does. Um, but nobody's been able to uh, to stabilize it, and that includes the researchers in Israel who use um, uh, they use synthetic CBDA when they're testing it. This company has the only the only sort of uh, patented process that does it. So it's just, it's the best process for me. I'm sticking with it for now. I don't have, um, it's not my business, so I don't have an affiliation with it other than my business is telling people how to make themselves better. So if I give them a subpar product, it's not going to, it's not going to help them at all. So I want to make sure I'm giving them the best product and that's what, okay. that's why. And your, your milligrams is uh, 300 on this bottle. And as you say, there are, there are some um, providers that, their numbers are much higher and they sell their bottles for 120 pounds or whatever it is. So, so, so we, people shouldn't get caught up in the higher that number, the better, because what you've just said is it's the extraction process that improves the bioavailability. So with a smaller relative strength, yours is actually continue is, is as strong because of its bioavailability. Well, basically, this is sorry for the confusion there. So it's got 300 milligrams of CBDA, but it's actually got a thousand milligrams of CBD. So oh, the CBD, okay. so CBD is is what we call decarboxylated CBDA. So it basically means it's gone through a heating process of some sort, uh, whether it be heated by um, by the the obviously process of heating the oil, or whether it be when you're smoking cannabis and you, you light it. So when it when it that's that does something called decarboxylation. That's when it turns into its active form of CBD. So there's a thousand milligrams of CBD in there, but it's also 300 milligrams of CBDA. Got it. Um, you'll tend to find with anything else on the market, it's normally about, uh, they normally max out about 12 milligrams of CBDA. But it's usually zero point something of CBDA because people just don't know how to stabilize it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, no, it's not necessarily, you don't go after, it's not specifically strength. I mean, there's a lot of markers, which is very difficult. So they kind of, uh, they put you in a difficult position. I mean, I had someone say to me the other day, 70 quid for a bottle of CBD. I'm like, if you're spending 70 pounds, don't expect to get a decent bottle of CBD. Wow. I mean, stuff That here, sounds expensive to me, but you're saying that's still going to be inferior. It's going to be very inferior. Yeah, unfortunately, unless it's, unless it's a 10 milligram bottle. So obviously this is 30, yeah. sorry, milliliters. So this is 30 milliliters. Ours are larger bottles, but a lot of the industry do 10 mil and 20 mil, so smaller volume. Uh, and that might be if you've got a seventy-pound bottle and it's a ten mil, then it's understandable because it's obviously a lot less. In got volume. it. 
Got it. Last question then, man. And and again, you're doing a fantastic job of constantly betting back on my curiosity. You can see why my podcasts run run long. Um, how, how do people take it? So they've got they've started to get something. I, I know there's loads of kind of how-tos online and the providers typically give you some guidance. The guidance seems pretty consistent, but why don't you talk talk us through? If someone picked up one of your your bottles, how would you recommend they engage with it? Well, there's one thing I would like to dispel straight away, which even the business I deal with fall foul of. Um, and I'll come to that at the end. But basically, with, with CBD, what you want to be doing, so it depends on what you're taking. So if you've got, obviously, pain and things like that, I always recommend a nice topical cream that you can put directly on the area and drops alongside it because the drops will manage it and keep on top of it. And then times of flare-up, the, uh, the, the, the creams help. But with regards to the oils, basically, you take them sublingually, uh, which basically means a couple of drops under the tongue. And then you leave it there for as long as you can. Now, people go, ar, 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 ar. don't have, you can walk around, you can talk. I mean, you'll feel it evaporate around your mouth. It, obviously, it's got peppermint in ours, so you actually feel that evaporate around the mouth. The longer you leave it there, the more it's going to absorb directly into the blood in the, uh, obviously, in the mouth and in the tongue. So there's a lot of blood uh, there, and obviously, then gets more of it to your system. Um, and what I always say is from day one, start with one or two drops. Not because you're going to get stoned and you're going to feel like you're uh, sort of hanging on for dear life. And, and, and I do appreciate there's not that side of it, but there's a couple of reasons for it. First and foremost, everybody metabolizes different. You know what it's like? One person can drink a glass of wine and be on their back. Some people can drink 10. It doesn't make a difference sometimes with regards to size. So we never know what we're going to metabolize it like. So start low and then do that for a couple of days, two to three days. And after two to three days, up it by one drop a day two to three days, up it. And then just up it until we find, you find what we call your sweet spot. Now, everybody's sweet spot is going to be different because everybody's taking it for a different reason. Um, your perception of pain, might you might be able to handle a lot more pain than me, so you might end up needing less. You know, so there, there are sort of these, these sort of factors. But I always say start low, build up slowly, and don't be afraid to reverse it as well if you think you may have gone too far. How would you um, know if you've gone too far? Because that, that's my question. At the minute, I'm doing your kind of escalating protocol. That's a five drops at the moment. Um, I'm feeling good with it, but do I go to six? Do I go well, to I seven? The, <laughs> I always say with the first bottle is, is spend the first four weeks experimenting. And that includes the time of day you're taking it. That includes splitting it between you're taking four, try two in the morning, two in the afternoon, try uh, eventually try, try four in the morning, four in the afternoon. So experiment for at least the first month. Um, and what you'll tend to find is you'll either find that there's no difference really in, 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 in how you're feeling. So it's, it's, it's irrelevant when you take it. So maybe you're just going to take it with your, uh, your, your breakfast or your, your supplements in the morning. Uh, but just, just experiment with it. And uh, what I tended to find, so it is a slow thing you catch on to, but I did find that I was taking too much. And it, it was so... Um, like I said, so subtle. No, I was just saying to my wife that something's not quite right at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a bit of a brick wall with my productivity and my focus. And it took, probably took me about 10 days to go, oh, actually, I wonder if it's because I'm taking 10 drops. And I, I reversed it. I went straight to five drops again, straight back to five drops. And within a week, I was back to my sort of flow. So that to me told me that it was obviously having some sort of, uh, not detrimental, but it had actually started having a negative uh, or sufficient effect. So you're Um, you're looking for positive effects. And if, if, if you eventually feel that that effect is wearing off, but you're increasing the dose, it may be because you're increasing the dose. Yeah. And we also want this, it's an expensive um, uh, compound. So we also want this to become as uh, economical for people as possible. So um, if you go straight in and take a dropper of 20, and it, it works out that your preferred or perfect dose was four, you're never going to find that four. 
you've, you've lost it. You've gone straight to 20 and then you're going to go, do I try 19 today? Do I try two, three? It's going to be impossible. So what that also allows you to do is by slowly building it up, it allows you to actually find that perfect dose. And, and if it does get to a point once it's in your system that you're, you're again, having adverse effects, you're starting to feel a little bit anxious or you're getting, I, I wouldn't say you get a runny tummy doing it uh, one at a time, but if you're starting to get to a point where you're going, oh, I'm not feeling as quite as good as it was, just wind it back a couple and, and you'll tend to find that you'll, you'll find that that sort of area and you, you'll think, yeah, that's good. Uh, it's, but again, it's a daily thing. It, it's not it's, like something you can take once a week or once every few days. Hey, have to be taking it daily, especially for the oils, because again, the bioavailability of it getting into your system, it then going off and doing its stuff again. And again, also depending on what you're taking it for, I've got a few friends. I've got a friend of mine um, that works on boat building and he works all over the world. Uh, and he came back recently. He was like, no, I just have certain days where I come in. I want to chill out. I want to have a real chill time. And I take a, a nice big um, sort of uh, a drop of the oil and I'm, and I'm good to go. However, he's since come back and said, no, I take it every day now. I've listened to you. It's like, it does work better when it's uh, constant. And constant, yeah, because what you're doing is in effect, it's a slow buildup. Every time you take it, it's it's not really going to be doing much because you're it's like almost your first. Your first almost sounds of. like creatine, like you've got a loading phase of creatine and it's, it's not working the same. I guess it is. And I know with creatine, it's about how much, it's about saturation, how much you take until you saturate your bodies with uh, uh, ATP. Uh, um, phosphocreatine. And then once you reach that saturation point, you're getting the maximum effect of creatine. And therefore there's a loading phase where you have to go through that loading phase before you're, you're receiving maximum benefit. I guess we're not, we're not talking about the same kind of idea of like, um, stores. We haven't got like a store of this per se, but there is a cumulative effect. Yeah. And, and an accumulative effect that's relevant to what it is that you're trying to achieve. So again, like I said, that there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't realize start taking it for pain or anxiety or something like that. And then it starts affecting something else. So, uh, and, and again, it's, it's when you're doing it slowly, you are kind of building up stores, but what you're in, in essence doing is you're actually, if you, let's say you've got an, let's say what it is, an endocannabinoid deficiency in an area, what you will be doing. So it's so migraines are a really good example for this. So uh, there's a massive link at the moment or a lot of stuff that's being researched in regards to the link between migraines uh, and an endocannabinoid deficiency. So what you tend to find is my, my mum, it took her about three months. She's had migraines her entire life. It took her about three months of taking it, but eventually it got on top of those and she still takes the same amount, but it's got on top of it. I had another customer that uh, started taking them and within three weeks, she stopped getting migraines. She still gets the odd headache, but they're things that she can manage. And that was August last year and she's still on the same journey. So Everyone's different. Everyone's trying to achieve a different thing. I mean, it's very hard to explain to you how my headache feels. You know, it's it's, it's a personal thing. So it's also going to be a personal uh, therapy as well. Got it. You've been you've been great, mate. This has been fantastic. Have we covered everything? In my mind, we've covered everything. And some. <laughs> is there anything that's we, we miss we're missing here? Uh, we, we've we've covered everything that needs to be spoke about today. I would I would have thought. I mean, I'll be honest. It's literally just the, the tip of the iceberg. It's the corner of it all. I mean next thing would be going into into research trials and stuff but that that would bore people to death so i think we've definitely covered en enough of the initial and, I, and i'm always happy to do a follow-up i've got no, yeah. no issue that any of your, your sort of listeners come back and say you didn't cover this or i'd like to know more about that more than happy to do that you're, you're a star man you're a star where can people find your business and maybe pick up a bottle of this as well or in, in consult with you how do we get in 
So I, I do insist on a consultancy with everyone. Obviously, it's very difficult with the internet because sometimes people just go into your shop and buy buy the uh, the products, which they ha- they have to have that option. I do prefer to do a consultation if I can. Uh, they, they can be arranged on on my website, and they are free. They can also be re- arranged on my, my Facebook as well. The website is www.naturalhealthalternatives.co.uk, and that's got the links to the Facebook on it. So uh, I've just started a little bit of a, a vlog. Uh, page as well so there's a, a few sort of things on there and there's also a blog but that's going to be getting more full as, as as time goes on uh so they can purchase it from there but they can arrange their free uh, no obligation consultation as well try and keep it to half an hour for people but if people want to ask more and they, they've got more questions they need to ask them then, then it does well, now you does. can point them to this podcast and say why don't you touch that first and if there's any more <laughs> questions i'll be very surprised percent. <laughs> no that, that's 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 for sure i will be using that and if you don't mind me having a uh, a recording to sort of post on my, my website, my Facebook. It'd be brilliant. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, Listen, it's been it's been a true pleasure. We're going to keep in touch. I'm going to keep you informed as to my journey with this uh, with this CBD oil. And um, this will go out in a couple of weeks' time. I'll let you know as soon as it's done. And uh, let's, let's spread the word out and uh, get people educated because this conversation needed to be had. Uh, yeah. I think we needed to debunk a lot of the issues. I think we needed to smooth out some of the kind of snake oil kind of like entrepreneurial everyone's trying to make a quick buck type vibe here because that's definitely how it feels like every man and his dog is selling cbd right now so i'm glad you've approached this with science (laughs) with pragmatism um really allowing us to understand why it's effective uh, and you haven't sold yourself out so well done nikki no problem at all nice nice to uh, be on it really do appreciate you having me on it's been uh it's been good and uh, again what I want to do, I just want to get as much sort of um, exposure to it as I can, um, give some people some actual uh, information that's not just based on, like I said, I've said a few times, just sharing memes and not knowing the sort of background behind it, but really also get this this endocannabinoid system out there because people need to know about it. We know how to sort of kind of look after that and and manipulate that. So I'll leave you with one of the things that was said in one of the videos that uh, that you looked at. There is a growing number of medicinal um, sort of cannabis uh, experts and doctors that are actually stating that the endocannabinoid system is the single most important um, discovery in medical science. And once they actually understand how to manipulate it correctly, it will save more lives than sterilized surgical procedures. So surgery. So we need to know more about it. People need to know about it. People need to look after it. And uh, as I say, if they need any help, they can go to my website and contact me anytime. Mic drop. (laughs) Thank you, man. All right. Thanks for your time. Whoa. Just before you go, I want to know two things from you, if you would be so kind. Firstly, how did you find that episode? Was it insightful? Was it practical? Has it got you thinking about things differently? If so, do us a huge favor, please, and write us up a quick review in your podcast app, whether it be on Apple or Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other podcast platform. And secondly, have you checked out the Be Your Best journey yet? If you haven't, that's cool, but go to adaptnation.io or click the link within the show notes and just take a look around. See how we put together the messaging as to the value of this online course and program. And if you've got any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. And if you're interested about it, then hey, there's no time like the present. Get involved. It's 100 days of personal growth and self-development. I am sure you're going to get a lot of value from it. Anyway, until next time, I'll let you crack on and be your best.
If you enjoy this show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might enjoy the show. Feel free to get in touch with us via our website, adaptnation.io, or your favorite social media channel. This has been Adapt Nation. Till next time, thanks for listening.